If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 172. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my son. He's cleaning his glasses, Chris Reagan. Chris, how are you today? I'm well. I finally had, uh, I've been working a lot this week on mm. video stuff mm. uh, that I'm pretty excited about. It's been a while since I've actually like, you know, gotten, a, had enough time to really like sit down and get to work. Uh, so that's been cool. And I've also had time to play games, which is like super unusual. To, for for both of those things to kind of coincide. Very rare. Well, that's most excellent. Good to see you as always. Stay hydrated, please. Dustin Furman, also here, executive producer of Last Stand and co-host of this very show. How goes your life? It goes well. I've discovered a new lunch favorite for me, and that is mm. um, Aldi, wink and a nod for later in the show, has a like Italian meat selection, which includes the, the gabagool. The, the, the hot capicola, yeah. uh, some it's like a, a peppered salami and a hot salami. You put that all together on a sandwich, some pepper jack cheese. It is just like I'm. It's it's lunch that's so good that I, I like look forward to it when I wake up in the morning. Like this, uh, this just this selection of Italian meats. It's uh, it's a new thing for me. So, gabagool is a real thing. That's like a real thing that exists. Yes, okay. Colin can probably explain it better than me. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> It's a meat, so I'm looking it up now because it's G-A-B-A-G-O-L. I want to make sure. Uh, let's see. No, this is not right. Let me just look up the wiki here. So I want to make sure. Yeah, Capicola. So that's what I wanted to make sure was that yeah. it's it's pork. We used to call it, as I remember, we used to call it Capa when I was a kid. I don't really like it very much, but Gabagool, I think, is the same thing. That's so. I, yeah. I, for the longest time, I thought that was like jabroni. Or, or like some like, you, you know what I mean? Like just some weird, vaguely Italian fake thing. Because Gabagool doesn't sound real, you know? Well, I'll, I'm going to let you in on a, this is the Italian-American secret, right? And if you meet my family, you'll, you know this. Uh, my mom is like this. Mozzarella, mozzarella. Like no matter like what, it was like we were saying last week with all these random, you know, accents coming out of nowhere. Ricotta, ragout. Oh my God. Right? And, but these are not as far as I understand, real Italian pronunciations. 
This is just the way for the last 120 years, people in the United States has, Italians <laughs> in the United States have slowly bastardized the language. It's like right. what we use the term agita and stuff like that. Like we're the only people that use that word. It's a real yeah. word. But so right. I think that Gabagool is Capicola. Yeah. As I as I as I understand, you know, and we used to. But in my family, we would call that Kappa. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's um. I mean, I first heard that term from as many the the Sopranos, of course. And it's funny. Do you ever have that? Like you watch a show, it has like something in it. And you're like, oh, I got to check that out. You know, <laughs> it sounds like a, a nice sliced meat. Let's go yeah, for it. Cured. And um, sure. Tony Soprano, he knew he knew what was up. So yeah, it's like in the best uh, part. Yeah, it's like sorry, at the end of at the end of Avengers where they're like, ah, I want to try that new shawarma place, and I'm like, what's that? Yeah, it's mm. <laughs> a great point. And now it's good. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm intrigued by cured meats of the Italian variety. There's so many good ones. You know, we I had a charcuterie plate just last week when my we had a little family get together. You just gather items. You know, maybe they put some nuts on there as well. Maybe a couple cashews, oh. a couple walnuts. Grab some, some prosciutto. That's another one. Prosciutto, prosciutto. Is how we say it in yeah, yeah. Italian America, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, by by the way, since you skipped ahead so flagrantly, I just it was a little tease with bringing up with bringing up Aldi. I want to bring in Dylan Michael real quick. Okay. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I mean, I'm not mad about it. You sound a little mad. Well, that's true. He does sound. He a says, bad. "Hey CDC, just wondering if Dustin has some tragic backstory regarding Aldi. He has now used Aldi three times as an example of something lackluster or bootleg." Dustin Wilde, Aldi hate. So we were going to talk about this a little later, but we can talk about it right here at the very top since you brought it up. Sure. What? So in California, they might have been starting to come around. I don't really remember, but I never went to one in California. It wasn't until Virginia that I even encountered the supermarket. Then I didn't realize that it was like really a German supermarket. So I fell down the whole rabbit hole, not really understanding what this was. But uh, it's fine. I think their peanut butter is really good, but I don't re- we don't really go there. Do you have some sort of something to say about this brand? Oh, otherwise? I have something to say about yeah. Aldi and you know he he brings up a, a fair point here about Aldi is that I've used this term uh, probably wrongfully so because let me let it let's be clear the Furman household loves Aldi and we pretty much shop exclusively at Aldi to the point that I kind of feel like if you're not shopping there you're fucking up because wow. it's very very good and way 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 cheaper than shopping pretty much anywhere else but the reason I use that have used that term incorrectly, I guess, now that I'm considering it, is that mm. people instantly know what I'm referring to when I say the the Aldi version of something, the generic, the the copycat. Yeah. But really, when I say that, it, it could if I if I keep my Aldi uh, morals close, that means that it could be a copy, but yet just as good, right? So really, I should I should say something more like. Uh, What's the Walmart brand? Great value. Great value. Yeah, great that's value, the great yeah. value version. Or the Sam's Choice. Kirkland. I heard Kirkland's good too, though. But Kirkland's I'm not a... fine. All of these versions are fine. Do, you wouldn't know this, Dustin, but Chris, do you remember Pathmark? The yeah. <laughs> so it still exists in the tri-state area, but their so their store brand is called. I don't know if you remember this, Chris. It was called No Frills, and it was literally just white. So like it would be like a white box, like just literally a white box of cornflakes. And it would just say no frills cornflakes, like straight up government style. (laughs) And that was like, that is the fucking. So we on the island used to say Pathmark brand or no frills. Like that guy's a no frills George Clooney or something. And everyone would know you were talking about the Pathmark brand. (laughs) I totally forgot about that. 
<laughs> that's so weird that vivid memory is now like really like it's like forcing its way back into my head i forgot all about those like plain white like it's almost as if they were like art is not necessary right it's this is what exactly what <laughs> this it is, is this corn is sugar flakes yeah. and you get what you get <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i really did i thought there was going to be like a some tragic backstory here in regarding mm. to Aldi, because I did notice that, that you bring up Aldi quite often to refer to something as, like, you know, well, kind of, like, less than standard. I thought you were going to say, like, oh, little known fact, I was murdered in a in, a, in an Aldi. <laughs> My father you know? was killed in an Aldi. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I think a lot of people have preconceived notions about Aldi because it did suck when I was growing up my we would shop there with my parents and I hated it because I wanted like you know as a kid you see the commercials for like Lucky Charms or something but then you go to Aldi and you're stuck with marshmallow stars it's not quite the same but I have to say real quick and this is it's so funny you brought up that very specific cereal because Magic Stars was the no frills brand and I actually thought it was better than Lucky Charms that happened that was the weird it was the weird thing about it yeah it was good it's, it all yeah. depends on what you what you grow up with. Because I remember thinking yeah. cheese doodles mm. were the main thing. Mm. And then like Cheetos were like this offshoot. <laughs> because we always had cheese doodles. And then I saw right. Cheetos. I was like, what the hell is this nonsense? And cheese doodles, who's I this, think, were genuinely better. But Who's this flamboyant tiger? Yeah. <laughs> or cheetah. <laughs> tiger. <laughs> yeah. man. The name suggests, in fact, that it is not a tiger. <laughs> all right. This is a PlayStation podcast. We do it each and every week. Welcome, Sacred Symbols. You can get it three days early, ad-free on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media, the biggest games-related Patreon in Patreon history, thanks to you, more than 12,000 of you over there supporting us. We couldn't do it without you. You get that early ad-free access. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show we already heard from Dylan here about Aldi, of course. You get access to two episodes of Sacred Symbols plus a week only for patrons. A lot of good ones have gone up recently and will continue to go up. Uh, interview with uh, Q Games's. Uh, Dylan Cuthbert, who, of course, was one of the co-creators of Star Fox, creator of the Pixel Junk series, etc. I have an episode going live all about Gran Turismo this weekend from when this publishes on Patreon. We put up an episode with Luke Bernard all about a game concerning the Holocaust. I recorded an episode with another games media person who you guys will find out all about uh, Konami IP and what the future of those might be. We have a lot of good stuff in the rotisserie. So come join us over there. I'm really having a lot of fun with those, by the way. People are enjoying them. The, yeah. the, the it's top tier i feel like the selection lately we got a wide variety which is awesome yeah we do and i'm pleased that people seem to be understanding and in fact we had one with rick hogue that's the newest one i think that went up where we talk specifically about the legality and the morality of emulation and it's a really fun episode all about what is literally legal and then what is figuratively legal or at least allowable and how i think we kind of bend the rules to form exactly what we need out of a situation it's a great episode a challenging episode for some stop stealing games. All right. Unless they're old and you can't find them. Then what do I care if you steal a game? Don't steal my games. I know now one of you are going to go steal my game. <laughs> All right. Let's get into some questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience here at the very top before we get into some news and earnest what we're playing, the bigger pieces of news as we like to do. We like to ease into it. Sometimes we really, Chris, am I wrong? We really like to ease into it sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes uh, we'll yeah. get through an entire episode without getting into the news. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that'd be awesome if we did that. Just no, <laughs> but we don't tell anybody. Just at the yeah. end, it's like, all right, that's it. It's a, it's an April Fool's Aldi. episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking now. April, April 1st is a Friday mm. in 2022. Hmm. Not good. All right. 
James wrote into us, just James. He says, hey, Credence Clearwater Drivival. Oh, that's close. Hmm. Long-time listener, first-time subscriber, welcome. I am lead gameplay engineer with experience working on Madden, Assassin's Creed, and most recently genre-defining action stealth franchise Splinter Cell. I am writing in to clear up some misinformation about the term quadruple A, or as he calls it, quad A. I've heard quad A used internally at three major publishers that I've worked for over the course of my career. It is defined in different ways, but the most generalized and common version I've heard is AAA quality live service. It is my understanding that the term was created to differentiate between scale of revenue generated by the two types of titles. For example, Sony Spider-Man sold 13 plus million copies, putting its revenue in the hundreds of millions. But GTA 5 sold 150 million and has a live service model that generates revenue on the scale of billions. No doubt the term quad A will inevitably be co-opted by marketing teams the same way beta was. But this is how we use it internally when talking to employees, investors and shareholders. This is really good input. Thank you, James, for writing in. For the unaware, this is a follow up last week. We were discussing the initiatives. All, so the Microsoft's own studio in Santa Monica, the initiative in 2018, put up a job posting talking about how they're making a, a quadruple A studio. And we were making fun of it. I think a lot of people at the time were, but we were contesting that it was a mistake because some people were like, it was a mistake. They used it once. They never use it again. I don't know if this clears that up at all. But it gives us different context in how that term might be used. I can say in my experience, I mean, I, I only work for a small develop, developer. Uh, we publish our own games. I've never worked at an EA or a Ubisoft. But I've been, I was a journalist for a long time. The, the unfortunate reality is Quad A was only used after I was out. So I don't know mm-hmm. it, how widespread it is. But James seems to indicate that it is widespread. So we appreciate you writing in and letting us know that. And this is the kind of leverage we can bear on this show with uh, the fans, the listeners, the friends of the show writing in. And I've been hearing a lot of you working uh, at different studios. So I appreciate you reaching out on Patreon. In fact, a couple of you are coming on the show, including someone from Techland soon. Ooh, it's going to be an exciting talk. Let's go to Travis Thompson. He says, hello, my pair of C cups and my one awkward D cup. <laughs> like you, Just one, one breast is bigger than the other two. Mm-hmm, right. yeah. It's like that dancing lady in Jabba's palace. Oh. <laughs> Colin told me to write this correction from last week's show after exchanging DMs. Last week, Colin said that the developer Arc System Works had Chinese ownership, and this is not true. They did remove a lore section in Guilty Gear Strive that referenced Taiwan, though, to appease China, of course. Not because of ownership, though, which makes it even more sad, in my opinion. You're absolutely right. Multiple people wrote in about this. I had a correspondence with you, Travis, and I was like, where did that come from in my mind? And then I realized I went and looked and found a tweet that I had put out. And you guys might recall that I identified, as he mentions, that mentions, I think, of Taiwan and Tibet were both removed from Guilty Gear Strive. Yeah. So they're willing to do business with China, I guess, is what I'm saying. But I was certainly wrong by saying Arc System Works has Chinese ownership. And that makes me feel a little bit better for now. Of course, they contain or control all of the Technos IP, as we said last week, which is much more important to me. And that's stuff like River City Ransom and, and obviously the upcoming River City Girls, Double Dragon and all of the rest. But uh, thank you, Travis, for writing in and all the rest for writing uh, with that correction. Glad to correct the record. Daniel the Awesome wrote in, Dustin, I'm, I'm wondering if you remember this because I feel like we did bring this up, but maybe we didn't. Hmm. He says, hello, C to the D. You have talked a few times now about game trials, both in the most recent episode and speculating on them a month or two ago. Both times you failed to mention that Sony had already had or already did full game trials as a perk for PlayStation Plus back in the early days of the program. You could download the game, play for up to a full hour and then had the option to purchase the game since it was already downloaded on your PS3. I'm surprised it took Sony this long to bring back the idea. I wonder when they'll utilize PlayStation now to allow more trial and demo access to games. So another correction, I could have I know this and I guess there's no reason for you to believe me if we didn't bring it up. But I could have sworn we did bring that up because I remember it wasn't infamous to one of those games. Um, I I think it was, but I don't I don't think we 
I don't think we actually brought this up because this this actually like surprised me. I forgot that this was even a thing, and I don't recall talking about this. I don't I don't think we brought it up, but that is a good you know it's a good correction. That's fair. I totally Definitely. this totally slipped my mind. Yeah, it's like a it was like I don't know. I'm I'm thinking there were like a bunch of weird perks in the early PlayStation Plus ecosystem. Plus, there's also the weird shit that was happening after the PSN outage. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that stuff is just fused together in my mind. Like, I'm pretty sure Infamous 2 is one of the games that was free to try. But I also yes. think Infamous was one of the games that was free after the PSN outage, the first Infamous. So I think I'm just kind of forgetting things at this point. And that's not a huge surprise. Dustin, that sounds right to you? That sounds about right. I I wasn't in on the, the ground floor of, of PlayStation Plus. I didn't get it until I got my Vita because I think that was back in the days when you got the instant game collection. It's funny how PlayStation Plus was once more like Game Pass and then they changed it. And now there's, you know, people want that again. Kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking. I'm just doing like a general search. <sighs> yeah, because I'm, I'm just searching on Google News, like just using some modules. And, and they I'm, I am finding things where it's like Sony offers free games after bringing PlayStation Network back online, blah, 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 blah. It's like. I'm I'm all mixed up here, but whatever. Yeah, that, that was Thank a weird you. time. In fairness, that was like a really weird <laughs> period in in PlayStation history. Brian C wrote in and said, "Hello, CCD. I'll make this brief. Last week, it was repeated over and over that the character in Stranger of Paradise is listening to Limp Biscuit. I thought to myself, that's hilarious and awesome. So I need to check this out. When I did, I noticed the band that is playing is definitely not Limp Biscuit. It's just some generic rap rock song. No one in the YouTube comments called this out." Almost every comment was saying it's so cool or funny that he's listening to Limp Bizkit. Colin, as a fellow Limp Bizkit fan, can you back me up here or am I crazy? So I actually never even got to the end of the trailer. So when people said like, oh, he listens to Limp Bizkit, I was like, oh, OK, that's fucking awesome. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's an, a hysterical <laughs> thing that you just said to me. Now, Final Fantasy Origins, Stranger of Paradise. I'm going to go to this trailer right now. I don't right think it's a now. trailer. What did you say? It's it's part of the gameplay demo at, at the end. I don't I mean, it may be part of the trailer, but I think uh, can't Brian be, misspoke here. Can't be a trailer. <laughs> that is a confusing trailer. I, I, it's just part of a demo, like part of a gameplay demo that was clipped out. I, I think it, I saw it first uh, going viral on Twitter of some guy playing it and being just completely baffled at what he was. At <laughs> is what it he was possible? Seeing. Is it possible that what we're seeing is hold on a second? I think I might have found it. Oh, no, this is like got VO and shit over it is because when I first heard him, people were like it's not Limp Bizkit. I'm like, OK, because I can't I don't even know what people are talking about here. I wouldn't know Limp Bizkit if you, I heard two friggin bars of the song, not even two bars, two notes of the song. But uh, I was wondering, I'm like, is it just something that someone like edited to be funny? And then maybe that's the video some people are seeing. No, is that no. So oh, I no. think I think when this initially went viral, the tweet said that he was listening to Limp Bizkit. And then thus people like me who I don't know if I've ever fully even heard. Uh, I mean, I've heard like what, years ago when they were, had whatever, a few famous songs or whatever. I I couldn't name a single Limp Bizkit song probably ever. And yeah, it's nothing really? against them. I just don't. I've never I've never listened to them. I have no opinion on Limp Bizkit. So I just took it for face value. But uh, this is a very good point to bring up. And I was I searched and it, it appears that it is not. A Limp Bizkit song, but it's not an edit. It is a rap rock song that he just plays. The question okay. is, who? I guess I'll have to look. I mean, I, 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 uh, I feel foolish because I just assumed that people knew 
what Limp Bizkit was, and now I just need to understand that that you don't. Yeah, you know, that people in fact don't understand Limp Bizkit. It's and, you know yeah. they're a little old. Yeah, you know, sure. In, in sure. fairness, I I didn't I don't listen to Limp Bizkit really ever. I know a couple songs. I know like Nookie and like you know yeah Nookie, Faith. but. When I heard that, when I heard that gameplay video of Final Fantasy Origins, I really did think it was like this is. I, I thought for sure it was Limp Biscuit until it got to the chorus where it was like, ah, that doesn't sound like Limp Biscuit. But I'm going to choose to continue to believe it's Limp Biscuit because <laughs> the world That's is fine. so dark. Yeah, you know, this is like they bring a, a lot of brightness. This is yeah, yeah. This is a, such, a, such a shining beacon, sure, of hope right now. Sure, but I can't, sure. I can't have that ripped away from me. <laughs> I, I don't I totally understand. I don't blame you at all. I, I I've loved Limp Bizkit for a long time, so I don't I'm not going to front as the kids used to say that George Michael cover of Faith, which was their first like single, I think from their original record, three dollar bill is a uh, that's a classic right there. Nookie Nookie's not very good, but that's a classic. That's yeah. when they got really big. <laughs> Nookie is not very good. What's that one? Have, is like, it, is know, that the one which was the, it's just one of those days. Oh, it's just one of those days when you don't want to wake up. Uh, that's breaking. That's break stuff. That's on that significant <laughs> other. Stuff. It's the same record. Um, God help yeah. us. All right. Yeah. But you would know like Roland and my generation and there's a bunch of shit. Yeah. Yeah. There. Anyway, we don't have to talk about Olympus good anymore for now. One too many near death experiences wrote in and said, howdy, CDC. This isn't a question for you, but a thank you to another patron. Ever since the man whose flies that da- was down wrote in, I've begun randomly checking my own and much to my dismay. It's been down quite often. This led me to my natural question of how often has my fly been down? Have people at work or in public seen my fly down? Why didn't they say anything? All these souls potentially victimized by my down fly. So thank you, man, who fly, whose fly was down. You've helped me be a better man. Let your story be a lesson to us all. It's always wise to check your fly once in a while. I mean, it might look like you're gro- groping yourself a little bit, and that's okay. You know, but you got to just I have a trick where I just put my, you know, I just kind of like, you know, adjust my belt or whatever. And I just put a finger like my pointer finger and just feel for the 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 zipper and 999 times out of a thousand it's the zipper's there but you slip every once in a while it's like oh and then you feel that your body instantly warms up you know and you get yeah, like yeah. red mm. and you're like oh no Here, here's a wild idea though like mm. how about everybody just puts their fucking pants on like correctly yeah like in the first, i have i i am not exaggerating i cannot remember i i don't even think i have a vivid memory of the last time I looked down and my fly was open. I cannot recall this ever happening after college. That's like 10 years ago. I don't know. I didn't what, realize what you'd pe- be so incensed by this. I, I just don't understand what's, what, what people are doing. They're not checking their clothes when they, before they leave the fucking house. You leave with your so. pee I mean, just dangling out. Like, like yeah, what do you, you do? <laughs> Did you just say pee pee dangling out? Yeah, yeah. I just thought it would be funnier if I said pee pee yeah, dangling good. It's good. Out. I mean, I appreciate. It. I I respect. I thought that if I said phallus, it would be a bit too yeah. medical. Cock. Cock. <laughs> it's too hard. It's too German. It's definitely too hard. <laughs> <laughs> too German. Too, it's too many syllables in that. But I'm glad that it could at least be some help to you, and that this saga has has helped you. And I think Chris, you're right. I think people need to just kind of clean themselves up a little bit. Generally yeah. speaking, just work on that. And um, I mean, I look like I'm this I'm I'm one to two weeks away from looking like a Taliban fighter with this beard. So I'm not going to sit here and and cast aspersions too severely. But somewhat severely. All right, let's see here. 
What else do we have? Brandon Breland wrote in, said, Hey, CDC. I wanted to write in thanking Dustin for convincing my girlfriend to buy a bidet for our bathroom. She doesn't listen to the show very often, but I like to play her clips from the show I find interesting or funny to her. After playing the bidet debate, she immediately purchased an add-on for our toilet, and now both her and I are believers. The feeling you get after using that bidet and finishing up in the bathroom is like the feeling of brushing your teeth after using mouthwash and then taking a sip of cold water. Imagine all that freshness you get from that, but on your asshole, it's that fresh. Thank you, Dustin, for changing our shitting game forever. The debt cannot be repaid. Dustin, that's high praise. Listen, I, I, I need to make a comment here is... First of all, the the thing with the bidet, here's what I thought of when this whole discussion, because it's bled over into Defining Duke, right. where Maddie and Cog uh, even brought Ryan McCaffrey into the conversation, which oh I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is Poor Colin, uh, here's what I would compare it to. You know, you can tell people what it's like to play a game in VR, but until they play it, they're just going to feel like it's a screen in front of their face. In fact, I remember many years ago listening to uh, a show where you were on and you described VR as a, a come to Jesus moment where you become a believer. And what I'm asking the people out there is to have an open mind like our friend Brandon did and become a believer with me in the bidet, uh, you know, the the changeover, the, the complete switch. Not only will it change your bathroom habits, it's going to change your whole damn life. And I guarantee it. Wow. You guarantee it like the, the old guy from Men's at Warehouse. Yeah, pretty remember much. I mean, I remember when no, he got like hostily removed from the board or something. Some weird shit happened to that guy. It was the best. It was damn. So weird. It's like, what happened to the men's warehouse guy? And he was just like, I'm out. Though, oh, <laughs> one other important well, distinction about this whole yeah. the the bidet saga, the debate, mm. the uh, bidet arc of sacred symbols is right. it's important to make a distinction because this happened on Duke. Also, we may have touched on this last week. We maybe need to define new terms for the types of bidets people use. There is the separate de uh, device that is often used in Europe. Like it's a separate from your toilet, which I don't even understand how that works. Do you like waddle over with your pants at your ankles and then wash your ass that way? I don't someone some one of our European listeners will have to write in about the, the separate bidet. I'm referring to a bidet toilet lid that attaches to your established toilet. Very important distinction. Chris uh, clearly agrees. I could just this see is it. too complicated. The second, like now, I, now I'm now I know that there are different types of bidets. That's a pro. That's all right. No, this is it's too complicated now. Now it's now it's just I can't. I will never. I can't. It's too much. I understand. It's okay. It's okay to shy away from greatness, the, Chris. I know the, it's it's intimidating to change, <laughs> but I believe in you. As hard as it's hard to say bidet debate. The, but I, I was getting tripped up a little bit there. Yeah. The day debate. <laughs> yeah. The day debate is, uh, this is toxic. I don't this think you know what toxic conversation. means. I, I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm befuddled, dude. I mean, I'm just looking <laughs> at things here and my, my mind keeps going back to, it's just, it's just too European for my taste. Listen, this is another day. instance. Too cosmopolitan. Yeah. I'm I'm alone in this on this show. This has happened a few different times and I know the people have my back. I I know it's clear as day. You'll see in the comments. Have your butt as it were. They have my ass. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now well I'm glad that they're they're feeling I'm, I guess I'll try it sometime. I just um I also wonder how do how do butthole pleasures play into the use of the bidet? Oh. In other words, are people 
like his wife, for instance, Brandon says his wife Here we go. really took to this. Are we not so certain that Brandon's wife enjoys butthole pleasures? I mean, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, <laughs> do we know that it's being used for hygienic purposes only? Is that what is drawing people in? You could make or the, could it be something else? Colin, you can make this argument like, oh, does someone go and buy an enema? Like yeah. anything that around, are you saying that anything that it involves around the butthole would involve pleasure? You could say that someone that uses toilet paper while they're down there, you know, they're, they're touching around in that area. Are they, are they fooling around? I just don't think it's a, yeah. a fair comparison. No, 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 but toilet paper is, is, is uh, rough, you know, and gritty. Some people it's like it's it rough, meant, Chris. It's meant, to, it's meant to induce pain, you know, Some discomfort. <laughs> That's what it's for. It's so, it's so you don't get too happy down there. That's what it's for, right? That's what I, I always assumed. Yeah. Well, it's always, I mean, if you're using Scott 1000 or something, I mean, you're not having a good time. I'm using sandpaper you know? usually. <sighs> sandpaper. I used Whoa. to. I, let me just say this real quick and then we'll move on, okay? Because we don't have to stay on this subject forever. If we don't want Are to, we, good? we can stay on the subject. Mike Dagan and I always talk about this on the show. Like, my parents, and I'm sure many parents, used to act like some things were the most expensive things in the world. And that's why they bought the shitty version of it right oh yeah and so yeah. like we wouldn't if you use paper towels in my house i think my dad would come and like fucking suplex you you know if you like ever even thought about using a paper towel for any reason and we had shitty toilet paper and you know sandwich bags that didn't zip lock and all of that and my dad always just made it seem like oh it's just so my dad does fine by the way my dad's a new york city firefighter and so he's, we we did very well for us and then i got older and I started buying things for myself. And I'm like, these sons of bitches, you know, there's like a two dollar difference between Angel Soft and Scott. Yeah. There's like a 50 cent difference between the Ziploc bag and the shitty sandwich bag. Why did you act? <laughs> See, this brings me back. This incenses me. Yeah. And it's, it's even more yeah. expensive now than it was, you know. So it's exactly. like it's exactly extra right. infuriating that you're paying more for it and you're still willing to pay that mu that much more. And they couldn't shell another like 10 cents probably back then for the better like toilet paper that didn't d disintegrate in the wind. Right. It's really. Yeah. Then you got the little rolly bits in your ass. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's a frustrating. You know what I'm talking about? It's a frustrating experience. Why are you pointing it? It's like very accusatory. The <laughs> It's like Uncle Sam wants you, but like really like, you know. Right. But on inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Inappropriate and, and deeply concerning. Colin, what if um, I told you. That when I was in the the toilet paper business, so to say, not you know, just that I was, uh, you know, were you it was relevant to my interests. Oh, okay. that I preferred oh. Scott toilet paper. That's insanity. See, because you're I, talking that, about things I, bunching up. That happens with the fluffy toilet paper. It doesn't matter because it's 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 comfortable. It's a, a clap. You see the bears, the Charmin bears. Mm. They're using I've seen it. Them. Don't you like get them. that they're using it? I buy those uh, those really bougie paper towels, the Viva ones that like feel like they peel off the. Oh, oh yeah. those are nice. Those, those things are, nice, are yeah. amazing. Not yeah. sponsored, by the way. They, you know, they they could suck. Hashtag it. ad. They could suck it, but but we could be. They Good yeah, come sponsors. I am a bounty man myself, but I'm always willing to move off that Turn reservation as necessary. Who's paying these checks? <laughs> Ziploc, are you out there? H hefty. <laughs> 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 the fuck <laughs> all right what the hell are we talking about we got to move on adam barnes wrote in and said good day lads i write in today to come to the defense of basil and his cereal eating ways so people might remember last week we, we had a guy wrote it right in about 
eating cereal, his, I think, wife or girlfriend eating cereal in the microwave. Not like cream of wheat, like frosted flakes. And so he says, Basil, if you're hearing this, don't let these degenerates get you down. You are an elite individual who has cracked the code to life. May I suggest for an even greater experience, scrape the mi- scrap the microwave, I'm sorry, and boil the milk in a pot on the stove until it reaches your desired temperature. I was shocked to hear how offended on a seemingly evolutionary level people were by the idea of warm cereal, especially Chris. Come on, mate. Remember the scooter versus bike deba- debacle from years ago? Your opinion on anything has been greatly compromised. Just shut your pretty little lips. <laughs> Godspeed, Basil, you absolute legend. It's a little harsh, but apt, I guess. Chris, do you have you ch- have a change of heart? I don't. First of all, I'll I'll say this. I don't remember what the hell that debacle was about. I don't remember. You remember that though? I I I agree. I I remember there was a debacle. Yeah. But I don't remember. It was something about we were talking about bikes and we. I guess I guess we just didn't understand how they worked. Some it was something. I I have no clue what the hell this is about. Like I tried to find it too. I tried to like search before the show, and I was like, and nothing was coming up. Search SEO is like really terrible. Yeah. Yeah. We do need a wiki. The Sacred Symbols (laughs) wiki with all the different arcs, the lore. Someone yeah, I, that. that would be awesome. We should we should pay someone to do that. Yeah. If anyone out there wants to do that for very little money, let me know. Because <laughs> it's just not that important to our business. No, here's, here's, here's one thing that I will say. Whatever yeah. the hell that debacle was about, I can assure you, cereal is more relevant to most people's lives than a bike or a scooter is to mine. I have used, I have been on a bike the last time I was on a bike, I think, was literally like 2017. And the last time I had cereal was a week ago. You know, so like these are very if you're boiling your milk every single week, that is that is way more egregious than some difference of opinion on a on a on a bike that I don't ride. You know, this is a very different thing. Also, this is just an inhumane thing like i just don't understand where did you get this idea i guess is what i is what i'm curious about because i have never once thought in my entire life to warm up my cereal like i've never thought of that like not once and it does like it's just this makes me seethe like it 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 is a seethingly angry thing this 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 i can tell premise i can tell have you ever done this? Have you ever thought to do this? No. The Dustin. idea of no. Yeah, doesn't. Yeah. Well, Both here's of you. but like I'm just like I'm trying. I'm trying to find some answer here. Yeah. Here's the thing. There is none. You should not like. First of all, putting the milk on the stove and boiling it—that's just asking for your milk to be scalded, which is even more disgusting, in in my opinion. I will say, uh, connecting to an o- earlier point, I was at Aldi uh, with Holly. <laughs> And she was looking at some oatmeal and I said, oh, we had a listener write in who said they liked hot cereal. She's like, oh, I love hot cereal, too. As she was holding holding the oatmeal, I said, no, not like that. And I believe her words were, oh, no, was the next thing she replied. So she knew. And this is just this is another thing where it's like we got this one one person out of the, the woodworks here. Adam Barnes, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are coming out of here trying to defend this? We everyone knows. We all know. Get out of here, Adam. We're sick of it. Get <laughs> Turbocharge nerd wrote in and said, Colin, I want to thank you for the advice on buying from a scalper last week. <laughs> I needed to hear it, not for the PlayStation 5, but the Switch OLED. I purchased one for 450, 100 more than MSRP. 
After factoring in mental health, freedom from being glued to a computer and working more hours, $100 felt like the best long-term investment. I thought about my time buying the PS5, the stress, the hours I lost living life, and in my opinion, not putting my best effort into my teaching job. While paying $100 more may, me, may, may make me look like a fool, my mental health matters more to me than what others think. I wanted to reiterate this just because, first of all, I'm glad. I don't think scalping is the right, scalping for profit, I don't think is the right thing to do. I don't mind people scalping tickets to shows and shit. I used to do that all the time if I had like extra tickets to something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I'd go on Craigslist and just be like, I have tickets at, at cost or whatever. I understand that's not what we're talking about here. And I'm against that because I think it's it's fucked up. I, I understand the market kind of dictates these things. I also truly believe that the retailers can do much more about this than they than they are. And I don't know why they won't do more about it. it just doesn't make sense. I know we talked about that months ago, but I did want to say, guys, consider the value of your time, your energy, your your effort, bandwidth, all of those kinds of things. I truly believe that if you're still looking for a PlayStation 5, then you should you should and you really want one like you. It's important to you. I would stop playing these games with yourself and just pay seven hundred dollars or whatever for one. I believe that if you want to be patient, that's the better option. But what I'm simply saying is, is if you are really wrapped up in getting one of these things still, I think you should consider another option. Yeah, because I don't think it's good for you. Yeah, like you're, yeah. if you're at a point where you're like laying down like candles in a pentagram and like doing like a summoning circle where you're just sure. trying to like summon like a, a Best Buy call, like it's probably like <laughs> just pay the extra like one fifty or whatever the hell it is. It's probably going down now. Yeah, people have written in saying like they're still between seven and eight hundred and, 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 and on eBay most of the time, and I believe that. But think about this: if you've been looking for one, the, the council came out in November of two thousand twenty. It's October of 2021, so it's almost been a year. If you're still looking for one and you could have simply paid $250 or $300 more for one at this point, wouldn't you have rather have just done that? I mean, that's I, I know that's a lot of money, but it's like, yeah. and here's the here's the catch 22 now, guys. They've gone so far with it. Some of these people that now like giving in is so stupid because they could have just had one for this cost like six months ago. Yeah, so mm -hmm, yeah. I just wanted to throw out there. I'm not encouraging anyone to do X, Y, or Z. You got to do what you got to yeah. do. But I just, I feel like people are too black and white about money. And I just want you to encourage you that you have value that can be monetized. You value, you monetize your value when you're at work. You value, you know, you monetize your value when you output something. If you work at a factory or you're a delivery man or you're at a desk, whatever. So think about your life in the same way too. have a little respect for yourself. You know? Yeah. And also, don't play this thing up too much in your minds. I'm telling you right now, it's a great console, but I do believe some of you are going to get this and be like, damn, this was yeah. uh, <laughs> this was it. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a mass underwhelming. I feel like for a lot of people, they'll be like, damn, dude, I waited a whole year and spent two thousand dollars on this. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't seem like I mean, we've been talking a lot about supply and all of that. It just seems like things are going to be pretty bad this holiday season. So, yeah, everything. So I don't know, man. I hope people got theirs. I got mine. That's all I care about. I'm like, all right, let's get into some of the uh, the news and things to talk about. Before I do, though, I didn't put this in the in the um, in the notes, but I just wanted to say this real quick. I watched that Home Alone trailer. Oh, my God. Oh, no. And. It filled me with such a rage, right? That first of all, I didn't I couldn't get beyond the middle of it and then i finally went back and watched the rest of it 
And I just wanted to say that I have nothing. I, I just don't know what that was all about. Yeah. Money. That's what it's about. No, oh, yeah. I got I, that was the first thing I've seen in a long time. Like uh, the first like uh, media related thing, like the first like movie trailer or like TV show thing that I've ever seen. I think that's actually like made me viscerally angry. Like, because not only are they just touching this movie that doesn't need to be touched, but they're making it British. <laughs> that is so unnecessary. And it's, it's like a sequel to Home Alone 2. Did you know that? Yeah, well, yeah, because I isn't that Buzz? Yeah, but Buzz is? is like the cop and he's like old and dilapidated. I was like, oh, it's such man. a weird it's, uh, weird. it's very weird. Yeah, it's like in the same universe. Yeah. In other words. I don't I will say this about it. The one thing I appreciated was that it, do, it does seem like it's appropriately violent, which I think is really important. And I was when I was thinking about it before, because I didn't get to the latter half. And I'm like, oh, it's probably like these stupid, nonsensical traps and stuff. No, he like the first thing you see is he takes a fucking eight ball from a billiard table and smashes the dude in the head with it. And I'm like, OK, I, I at least respect that it is as violent because I mean, that's what's so funny about those movies is that he literally almost kills these guys. Like, oh, he, over they're, over those guys are immortal. Right. That's like the, it's just a, a really sadistic demon child fighting two immortal thieves. They don't die. They should die. Like, have you ever seen that, that edit? I don't know if I sent this to you. I got to send it to you after the show. There's an, there's a great edit of this dude who made Home Alone, but really bloody. And he like edited special <laughs> effects and it's it's so good. That's awesome. But yeah, because it's I mean, paint cans in the face. In the sequel, he drops bricks on their heads from like 10 stories up. Yeah. Like, Dude, yeah. this is murder. Well, yeah. I mean, it's maybe not murder. It's in self-defense, I guess. But It's it's attempted murder on several. Man, yeah, manslaughter of some sort. He could have just called the police several times, you know. And that's what I want to know about this one, because Michael was watching it. Because I was saying the reason why I think that remakes like this are so stupid partially is because it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like the Internet, cell phones, like every... It's not possible. I was saying, like, how would they even if you've ever flown internationally, uh, people out there, when you you're if there's someone missing from the flight, they'll hold it. Like, yeah, I was on a, I was on a flight that was heavily delayed in Germany because a fucking person didn't show up. They had to take all of our luggage out of the So like it's, it's just it, it belies belief. I'm not I'm, I know it's home alone, but that was kind of the, the bummer where I was like, you could believe in some way that in 1989, 1990, this could have happened. It wouldn't have been quite so zany. Yeah, yeah, but the but premise. I was like, I don't know. It the, just filled me with a great rage. That trailer. It's infuriating. The British aspect, I think, is not being talked about enough. But like, yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, it is unnecessary. I think. Well, we'll see. Come on. Well, I'm, actually, we won't because I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. All right. What else here? Oh, okay. That's it. Let's get into the uh, some of these short news items. We know now confirmed from Rockstar that the GTA collection, the Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy definitive edition is real. It is coming. It will be available as a collection physically and digitally, also a la carte digitally. And there's not much more to say about it. We don't really have a release date. The achievements did leak recently, and they do seem to be similar to the um, trophies on the PS4 versions. But speaking of those versions, Mustafa El Karate wrote in and said, hey, CDC. So the GTA remakes seem to be about to be announced or will be coming soon. They are now. At any rate, what do you think of the current PS2 Classic Editions being removed from the digital stores in anticipation for this? 
I don't see this as a big problem, but there have been murmurings about people thinking this is unfair due to not knowing what the new additions will be like before buying them and not giving the consumer the option. I bought San Andreas a few months ago, and I find it very difficult to play with my current PS5, so I welcome the upgrade. Anyways, did Rockstar do the wrong thing by removing the games from digital stores before showing off the new versions? Thanks for all the great work. Keep fucking that chicken. This was a piece of drama, Dustin. I wanted to throw this one to you first. This was a small piece of drama in the industry. We said last week that they were going to take these games down. They're gone now. If But if you already purchased them, and we're talking about the P- PlayStation 2 classics that were released on PS4 by Rockstar, if you already bought them and own them, then they're going to be in your library forever. It doesn't matter. Forever in quotes. But you can no longer buy them. And some people are like, well, now it's kind of, I guess the analogy I think of is it's, it's kind of like Star Wars special editions, the 1997 versions, and how it's like impossible to now find the original 77, 80, and 83 versions like in home media. They just want to sell you these new versions and people don't really want them. What do you think about Rockstar's decision here? Should they have waited or not done this at all? I think it's a complicated thing because I can see it from multiple angles. In one sense, they they don't want people that maybe didn't hear about these remakes going and buying these older versions and then whenever these, uh, well, the remaster, whatever it is, when they come out that they're like, oh, well, I didn't know about this and now I bought the wrong thing. So I can under understand that. And at the same time, they also don't want confusion on the various storefronts where there's these two versions that look similar and people potentially buying the wrong thing. I, I, I get that. But at the same time, I think that where a lot of people are starting to really get caught up is there's rumors right now that they are going to charge $70 for all three of these, which I believe would be, I'm trying to remember how much the PS2 classics were. Were they 20 I think they were $19.99 each, maybe $9.99 later. Yeah. But And by the way, I will say I, I did. I own all three of the original ones on PS4 and I did go back and play GTA 3, I think in 2018. And it's really not. It, it, it's hard to play. It's true. It's hard to play now. Right. Feels old. It just um from I guess you could make an argument about the game preservation standpoint, but it's like how many millions and millions of copies of GTA uh, three Vice City and San Andreas are out there for their original systems. It's also available. The original versions will remain on PC in one form or another. It it kind of to me, I mean, not to like bring up something totally different, but I'm more annoyed by there's like talk. There's like Rockstar is suing modders of the original game that were uh, making their own remastered versions. They were like taken down oh, and yeah, sued. Yeah. That seems like a much more heinous act from, from Rockstar. So I don't know it to me. I, I get both sides of it, but in the end, I feel like it's kind of, it's a non-issue to me, at least I'd love to hear someone who like was really mad about this, what their reason is. Cause there, there may be some more justifiable things that I haven't thought about. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? I, I, I am compelled by what Dustin is saying. And I think, what others have said, too, that these games will exist in their original form, first of all, physically on PS2 and on Xbox for presumably millions of people purchase them on other platforms and have, you know, whether whether PC where it will always exist, PS4 where it exists for those that purchase them now. I But I do get the, the sanctity message. Yeah. And I think maybe people are just assuming something that I think will probably be false about these new games, which is I think maybe people are assuming that there won't be a way to shut off many of the new things in the new games. And that would really take care of the problem. Well, yeah, 
Um, the the issue is so it, you're talking about like the the way that uh, a lot of remasters do like kind of like graphical toggles, right? Like how it's like right. oh, toggles can... for and and con- presumably they're also going to fix the controls and put them on the sticks and all that. But my assumption is is that that's going to be maybe something you can just turn on and off, right? Like a toggle. Maybe I I wonder I wonder how much of these games because they're so old like I wonder how malleable they really are like a lot back in the day like in, in the PS2 and Xbox days like those games a lot of those like big games were kind of built on these engines that were very rudimentary like they they were I've I've heard people talk about like modding these old games from that generation it's like it's it's like wading through a labyrinth made of like toothpicks it's like the the most fragile thing and it's like how do they get this working it makes no sense so like i wonder how much they would be able to really preserve the original with like a graphical toggle like you're talking about or whether or not this is something that is from the ground up because part of me believes that it would have to be from the ground up in order to justify a remaster in the first place because the whole reason you'd want a new version of san andreas or a new version of vice city or any of these older 3D GTAs is because you want it to play better. And I don't know how they could really go into the code of like the original game and make that game play better without just making a like a proper new like I'm sure a lot of the geometry is lifted out of the game, but I would imagine a lot of work has been done. I don't imagine this is going to be one of those games that like you press this the you know the touchpad or whatever and it and it like goes back to the original graphics or anything. I, I don't think I don't believe that's what's in store for us. I could be wrong, but I don't know. I, I sympathize with the preservation aspect. I do. I don't like that things kind of leave. I know they'll be on PC and that they're on PS2, but the fact that they were put on PS4 and then taken away just feels like really weird to me. Like, I just don't understand why you wouldn't just leave them up. Like, no one's going to be. Re- I don't think anybody's going to be really confused Oh, Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy definitive edition or PS2 classic, you know, like it's very clearly like, I don't know, to me, that seems simple, but at the very least, just tell people that they're going to be leaving the store. Like at the yeah, very they, they least, they did it pretty quick. They did yeah, it pretty quick. I, I would say like, give them like, I don't know, like give people like a few months, at least like two months. I, or something. I think the rule for this shit's got to be a year. I mean, we've said that many, many times, like. When we were talking about shutting a store down, like say a year ahead of time, if you're yeah. going to shut a server down, say a year ahead of time, yeah, if you can. Yeah, but that's that's more about like the storefront thing is different because like that's like taking an entire marketplace down and not really replacing it with something else unless you have to go like buy a new thing. Like this is at least like, hey, we're going to take these versions down and we're going to like kind of like crossfade it into uh, into this new version is, is what it kind of feels like. So at least there's some justification where you don't have to announce a year ahead of time. That you're going to take a game off the store if you're going to replace it with like a a better working version of it. A storefront's a little different. Like that, you want mm. a good amount of time. But sure, I accept that. But I don't know. I I well, I feel like you're right in the sense too that if they just kept those objects on the store, they could have even edited those objects to literally say like old version or something something like because I think that was what the concern was was saying like and I, or I think that's what they would use the excuse of saying like we don't want to process refunds for the fucking rando that's going to do this and get mad about it and blah 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 just take the games down i totally get that angle but again i just think that that's an edge case that doesn't really justify the ends and i i do find the 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 reticence of rockstar in regard to this collection strange it's been leaked for months 
And I understand that they, as of the time we're recording this, have a blog post up about it. But like, we don't even know what it looks like or what you've really done to it or when it's coming and all of the rest. So that's a little annoying, too. And I don't really understand that. It's just like, come on, man, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. yeah. What would be your bet as to when this thing is going to not not I think imminently, itself, but you know, I think it's imminent. You think personally. it's going to launch imminently? Yeah, really? I think it's the achievements leaked, which means they're up somewhere. So I just think that huh. it could be like a like a December. I'm thing? keeping an eye on PSM profiles because when the trophies appear, then it's really imminent. Yeah, but they're not up yet. But yeah, my personal opinion is that it'll be maybe November. But I don't I don't know. Like, I think it's ready to go. I think that that would be a great Christmas present yeah. you know, for people to get in the stores and stuff. But uh, if they can get them off of sh- ships in Long Beach, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen, Chris? I don't know. I, I feel like uh, if they're so withdrawn from the narrative about this game, like they haven't talked mm-hmm. about it at all. So like part of me feels like it could be like a like a spring thing. And maybe it just like maybe they were planning to get it out like super like a lot sooner. But then like, I don't know, you're dealing with three old games on a really dated engine you're probably like i would imagine it, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to recreate but i don't know like i didn't think about the trophy aspect like the imminence probably is a little bit more implied with that so i i would i wouldn't be surprised to see it in december i think november is a bit too crowded like for that but yeah yeah we'll see I'm, i'll be first of all i'll be curious like who is doing it the port so i wonder if they're they're probably not being done internally so that'll be interesting to learn and and again, what's fundamentally changed about them, because if they just change certain fundamental things, San Andreas is probably the best out of them as far as control is concerned. But they need to modernize the HUD and the controls like the gunplay is fucking horrible. I, I, I got to I think I said this a week or two ago. I got to the uh, the mission, the famous mission in GTA three when you're sniping these dudes on like a side of a boat. And it just, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that we used to play games like this. It was kind of how I felt about Metal Gear Solid, too, frankly, when I went back and played it recently. Like, oh, my God, it's it just it's so different. So it's actually really exciting to be able to play these games, even little things. Right. Like and Dustin, I'll throw it over to you. But Grand Theft, I, people might not remember this, but in Grand Theft Auto three, there was a HUD with a map, but and it would show you where you needed to go with a with an icon. But you had to figure out your way to get there. Like there was no GPS. And I think that GPS thing was turned on either in Vice City or in San Andreas, where like it showed you a path. And that kind of small little quality of life thing makes the game so much better. And now that's a common thing in every open world driving game. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but anyway, Dustin, when do you think we'll see these GTA games? My prediction is this year, just in looking over this blog post, the only indicators are uh, specifically that it's the the 20th anniversary is uh, this month in particular. So it could be that they're waiting until the end of October or maybe early November. But one of their kind of interesting detail, which I wouldn't want to read into this too much, but they're also releasing this, uh, the trilogy, the definitive edition on iOS and Android in the first half of 2022, which my gut reaction means that it's like, okay, lower your expectations on, on what the, the upgrades are going to be. But iOS and Android gaming now is so much more advanced than ever before with the, you know, the amount of power behind some of these devices. So maybe it would be fine. But the fact that they already put a timeline on those in the first half of 2022 tells me it'll probably be this year. Mm-hmm. Good thinking. All right, let's move on. Looking forward to playing those stuff. We'll definitely sit down and play those. Oh, yeah. 
I've never 100% in any of them. Me and either. I don't think I beat San Andreas, but because that came, I don't remember for sure. San Andreas came out at a time where I've said over and over again, it was like that Resident Evil 4, San Andreas, and a couple others. That was it like a year. I think I was a sophomore in college where I was like, I'm not playing games very much. I'm too, too busy with my girlfriend, man. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Oh, guys, got to <laughs> ask you about this. This random video has been found posted by PlayStation Europe. You can go look for it if you want. It's unlisted, but it's called Venom. Let there be carnage platinum. And it is literally just a 15 second video of Andy Serkis congratulating you for earning a mystery platinum trophy. It is weird. I don't know what it is and uh, or what it is for and why it was up because, some, you know, I think that Venom movie was what, 2018. What, what's, what's puzzling about it is that it was uploaded silently October 7th, 2021. Comments are turned off, likes and dislikes are turned off, but it is literally just a 15 second clip of him saying like, you know, it's, and it's like interspliced with Venom footage and then he's congratulating you for a platinum trophy. Dustin, what the hell is this? So this reminds me that every once in a while for certain games, PlayStation will send out congratulation emails for getting a platinum. Specifically, I remember for Bloodborne, if you get the platinum in that game, they will email you and say, hey, you're a loser, but good job. You got the Bloodborne platinum. Here is a theme for all of your suffering on PlayStation. So... I'm wondering if this could be attached to an email that you get when you get a platinum. But the question is, what game? Yeah, there's no Venom game. Yeah. So, like, what the hell? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why people are like, are we getting a Venom game or Venom DLC or Venom obviously plays a part? Like, is this for Spider-Man 2, the game? It's just weird. It's just a weird thing. I'm like, what the fuck? It's just hysterical. I, I I just found it more of a oddity and that PlayStation hasn't taken it down is either that they're wise enough to avoid the Streisand effect of doing that or there's nothing much to it. And what's so funny about it is that even having circulated amongst the PlayStation hardcore for days, it only has 12,000 views. So it's not like anyone's really finding it or looking at it. So pre- maybe we'll find out eventually what it's called. But if people want to go look it up. <laughs> You should. It's again called Venom. Let there be carnage platinum. Yeah, it's unlisted on YouTube, so you won't be able to find it in search. But if you search like and find it in an article, you'll be able to find it. That's so weird. Okay, let's see here. Oh, I wanted to point people towards a Washington Post story if they wanted to read it called The Video Game Review Process is Broken. It's bad for readers, writers and games. It's by a writer named Mikhail Kilmentov. I've never heard of him, but he's an assignment editor at Washington Post. It's just about how reviews are broken and it's specifically about how he played Far Cry 6 for 25 hours and that was him playing it normally four or five hours a day. And I think it's an interesting article because I've been there and I know what that's like and it does suck. And I think people have to become more like us and just start ignoring this shit. Uh, Publishers give you. Here's the thing. Publishers are preying on outlets when they give them small embargo times. They want the excitement of getting the game early, playing it early, and the the reservation of judgment because this is not out in a regular ecosystem to all phase into your review so that you treat it better than you might otherwise treat it. You don't have a lot of time to think about it. Think about how much you like something often and then think about it and it gets worse. Very little or, or fewer times, I would say, I don't want to say not often, but fewer times is something bad. And the more you think about it, you're like, oh, it was OK. Yeah. 
And so I think that that is all taken advantage of and why I think that we just need to decouple ourselves. And we have, but I think we generally, the, the capital W, we, decoupling ourselves from that ecosystem wherein listeners even expect that kind of coverage. No one comes to our shit expecting that kind of coverage. And yet we're still the biggest PlayStation podcast in the world. That tells me that people are willing to wait to hear the opinions of people that they trust and like and actually enjoy that people are playing it at the cadence that they play it at. Like, no doubt, we're going to talk about Deathloop in a little while. No doubt, most of our audience has not played Deathloop. And when Deathloop's embargo lifted, no one played Deathloop. So what value does that really have as opposed to us being part of the conversation? Um, I don't know if either of you read this, if you have anything to say about it, but I wanted to just point it out. Do either of you have a comment before we move on? Yeah, just real quick, I read it, and it's it's funny just the ironic thing about you mentioned the the publishers preying on outlets, and there's such a conversation, especially from uh, games media, that's anti-crunch, and the way that these games are often given and the amount of time frame is like pure, like completely is, I don't want to say an advocate for crunch, but it low-key is like, yeah, we're going to give you this game. You have three days and you know you will only get the the most amount of clicks if you have your review out at Embargo. It's it's just that's always been uh, an ironic nature of the industry to me is that we we well not us. But I mean, at one point I did some of this where I was like really crunching to get a game reviewed and get the video out and stuff like that. It's just like it, it just doesn't make sense. Like imagine if someone was reviewing a pizza and they say, OK, well, in order to review, you have to eat the entire thing in five minutes and then tell me what you think about it. It's, <laughs> it's not the normal way someone would eat and enjoy a pizza and think about it. Though I guess that would probably give you a more negative review than a, a positive hype experience. But you know what I mean? It's not normal. And if reviews are and I think this is what the Washington Post article says, is that reviews fundamentally are advice on how someone should spend some of the hours they're alive on this earth should you spend your hours alive playing this game and you would want that perspective from someone who played it like you did well i mean that's all there is to it i totally agree and i recommend that and by the way i don't know if i said it last week but on vice on waypoint there was a really great review of far cry 6 which i i thought was surprising i think there are certain pockets of games criticism that might be doing okay and that review was just about how samey the game is. Like, I like I like when games even I know I'm going to like. I know I'm going to like Far Cry 6. I haven't played it yet. Bought it day one. I, I'm positive I'm going to like Far Cry 6. But I like seeing these games get the shit beat out of them. That's the best kind of criticism. Because as long as it's fair, and I think this criticism is fair. Mm-hmm. In the case of Vice, it's about a game that just never changes. Then I think it's for the better that games are criticized like that. And I don't think people should also tie their self-worth or respect or whatever about the games they like and how they're being scored and how other people feel about them. That's also irrelevant. And I think that's part of the review ecosystem that's so fucked up. We're going to talk about a game that's caught up in that outside of our ecosystem in a little while, but I'll save what I have to say further for that. Chris, I want to throw this one to you. G4, we know they're coming back, but now they have a date. They shut down in 2013, but they're returning November 16th, 2021. They're already active on YouTube, but they're actually going to linear television as well. And uh, I thought this was really strange. And I don't understand why this is happening. Am I being too harsh in saying that this is a really bad idea? I mean, there are, there's money changing hands in the industry that I'm confused about all the time. 
I don't know if you guys saw that Reset Era was just purchased for $4.5 million by like some <laughs> Swedish interest. Yeah. So there's mystery money circulating. By the way, we know now based on that, that Reset Era makes $700,000 a year in revenue, which is a nice little chunk of change. But I feel like G4 is an is irrelevant. I, I, I'm a little old, so I, I a little older. So G4 was never relevant to me. But mm-hmm. even having joined the industry full time when I did at IGN and then kind of hearing less and less and less and less and less about G4 until you just never heard anything about them ever again. I just don't understand why they want to revive this from the dead, especially with the same people that were there when it was dead. It's not even like new people. It's like the people that couldn't keep the place alive. No offense to you know someone like Adam Sessler. I don't like Adam Sessler, so I don't care if he's offended. But what do you think about this? It's um, it's a little confusing because <laughs> the, some of the stuff they're bringing back, especially it's like, oh, we're going to air Ninja Warrior again. And it's like, dude, that's the reason I that's one of the reasons I stopped watching is because it like it wasn't about games the majority of the time. It was just fucking Ninja Warrior. Like, why would you why would you do that? The, the, bring back hosts. Uh, I, I think it makes sense. I think like I think Kevin Pereira and Adam Sessler like Adam Sessler blocks me on blocked me on Twitter. Like, I don't know what the hell I did, but I like Adam Sessler and Kevin Pereira from the perspective of like the content that they made on G4. I think it was it was genuinely like, you know, I was just D- Dustin and I are the same age. Like, I don't know how relevant they were to you, but like G4 was how I learned about E3 in the first place and how like. Like, it was, like, the only reliable place to go to watch it for a while. And then Spike came in, and then, like, and then eventually everything went online. But I do have a soft spot for G4, and I do think it makes some sense to do something with that name. That name does hold some nostalgia, and I think it could be made into something new. I just don't understand why they're trying to do the exact same thing. Like, it just, that, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense I, I especially because it seems to it seems like they're going backwards almost like why would you go to television like just make something like the Internet is here and it's been here for a while and right. a lot of independent Agreed. content has flourished. And and to me, it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm conflicted because I think I, I understand the desire to do something with G4. I just also feel like people kind of took G4 and made it their own when they started making their own content. When you started getting podcasts and, and YouTubers who like specialize in like PlayStation and, and you know, Xbox and like, here's a PlayStation podcast. Here's an Xbox podcast. Here's Kid Icarus, And he specializes in PlayStation reviews. And, and here's, you know, um, you know, all these industry people from websites that were all always about video games who are now like making their own content. And it's like, I just feel like they're, they're not looking at the right playbook here. It feels really misguided. Yeah. And I don't know how else to really phrase it. You know, Dustin, it reminds me of that seminal shot of The Walking Dead. I guess it's Atlanta or whatever, where all the cars are leaving and, and the other side of the road is empty. Yeah. And it's as if like the G4 guys are just in the, the car, like driving back into Atlanta. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, it's all fucked up there. You know, that you don't <laughs> want to go. Everything go follow these people. Everyone's going in the other direction. And my instinct says that this is why vulture capitalism is just so suspect because these people came in and acquired this and revitalized it. But their instincts told them to immediately go back to the old way to get some sort of repeatable income, because the reason that they want to be on on linear cable is because 
and being cable packages is because they get a rip of everyone's subscription price. If you have Comcast or whatever Verizon now ESPN gets like four dollars for per subscription, they might get 20 cents. But if you can multiply that by however many people, however many times a month that they that's why they want to do it. But it just makes them reliant on something that's dead that couldn't support them to begin with. And I think you're right, Chris, like I thought the Ninja Warrior thing was weird, too, because I was like, isn't that what you played when you had no original content? So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you're asking the right question. It's like, why wouldn't you just launch G4? And I know they're there, but G4 only on YouTube. Or if you really wanted something proprietary, make it a streaming app and see if you can get this thing on consoles and on TVs or whatever. If you want to play that game with Roku and everyone else. I just feel like this is no doubt going to fail. I, I I have no no doubt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, yeah. Just, or just make a, make original content. Like I can't. I am so surprised to see Ninja Warrior back on this thing after all this time. Like, how could you not? Like that Ninja Warrior coincides with in my head with the death of g4 because like i remember coming home from school and like every now and then i would i would put g4 on and it would be like hey you know here's you know cheat uh with uh kristen holt or whatever or here's like attack of the show or here's um cinematech or here's like um x play and i remember like this is fun i like this it's like something that like i just put on in the background it's 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 tv so my parents don't judge it as much <laughs> You know, if I was on my computer, like like a like a nerd, they'd be like, what are you doing? Wasted your. But if it's on TV, suddenly it's okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it it was relevant to my interest and it was like really fun. And it was like I got to learn about the industry in, in a way that I hadn't really been privy to before. And then slowly years went by and I would come home and it would be just people running on fucking sticks or like <laughs> and I was just like all right I guess I'll come back later and then I kept and it just it was never what I expected from G4 it was just this random competition shit and I was just like I, I guess I'm done because the internet is facilitating exactly the kind of content that I want to see out of this channel and it's still that way you cannot hope to outdo the internet on cable I don't know this is it's just a gonna, mess it's so I, weird it's, it, yeah I think I it's have weird a different too. take I, Real oh, okay. Qu- oh, I'm interesting. to hear it, please. You've been very patient. Thank I've you. I've been re- looking through this Variety article, and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this, just because it, this is just me reading over it. But I'm, I'm trying to read between the lines here. I want to read two sections here. It says G4 programming will be produced from its new broadcast studio in Burbank, California, outfitted for professional esports gameplay. And then. One of the points down when they talk about their schedule for relaunch, it says ESL Gaming. G4 will produce and broadcast several primetime esports programming with ESL Gaming, a first for the esports organization in the U.S. and Canada. G4's exclusive linear broadcast rights for ESL Pro Tour events will include the IEM Katawis 2022, whatever that is. So I think that you guys are, are right about some of their standard gaming content, but I would imagine that there are people that are looking at the rise of esports, seeing that it's included on ESPN and potentially having some success, and thinking, hmm, we probably can't do an esports dedicated channel, but what if we did try to give esports a home on uh, whatever they said, linear, uh, linear broadcast, right? Which, I don't know, maybe these will also... The fact it says G4 exclusive linear broadcast rights, that means just television 
right? Like right. no and that's Twitch. What, that, that, and that's what I'm saying. Like that's useless in my opinion. Cause I, I agree with the, the point you're making, but it's like their audience isn't going to want to watch this on TV. Remember that the only reason that people watch football, baseball, hockey and shit on, on TV is because they literally can't watch it anywhere else. Otherwise they would, people would love to not watch. Why wouldn't that work for esports though? Because it, I, I'm saying it would go in the same direction where esports, everyone wants to watch it on a computer and they can. What I'm saying is, is that if you want, if I want to watch the jets, I have three options. I can be on Long Island where it's on TV. I can have Sunday ticket, which I do so I can watch it out of market or I can pirate it. Right. And like, mm-hmm. those are the three options, but they're on an app or a TV. There is no online option. Otherwise, that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like it's just going in the opposite direction of where you're supposed to be going. Like try to hold those things down for an online streaming service as opposed to a TV. And that's that's why it's not that impressive, because the point is, is that that would never happen, you know, on, on the Internet, because sure. they'd be like, why the fuck would we give you the, the rights to this? You can have these rights. No one else is asking for them. Yeah. Right. I I guess I I agree that it's uh, progress in the wrong direction just because I I haven't had cable TV in. I had it for a few years when Holly worked at our local ISP and I never used it. So I have no horse in this race, but I could understand that if who was it? What was the the company that bought Comcast? Yeah, Comcast is reviving it and they're like, okay, here's a product that people are willing to pay to go see. It has a huge growing audience. How do we lock this down for television to entice people, even if it is annoying because people would rather watch it online? They're looking for some kind of exclusive product to draw people to uh, Comcast, right? So, yeah, it, it sucks, especially for a lot of the esports fans that probably would rather watch it on on Twitch or whatever. But to me, it makes from a business perspective, perfect sense that they would want to lock down things like that. Well, we're going to find out how this all goes. Um, You know, I I hope people enjoy it and it does well. Uh, Again, just Adam Sessler said so much shit about me in the past and he called me a Nazi (laughs) a few times and all that kind of stuff. So he can go fuck himself. I'm I'm interested to see him getting wheeled down in his wheelchair so he can review games. But other than that, you know, wish them all well. All right, let's move on couple more things to just blaze the real quick here. Madden NFL 22, EA Sports, Electronic Arts. John Gruden is being removed in a forced patch from the game soon. Mandatory update uh, for the uninitiated. John Gruden is the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He was the coach of the Raiders in a previous life, and he was also the coach of the Buccaneers a long time ago. He won a Super Bowl there. And a very well-respected coach, very well-respected commentator, football mind. He was on ESPN for many years. I'm actually a huge, or I guess... I don't know. I, I was a huge fan of his. I haven't really processed all this stuff yet. But in um, so there's a kind of a litigation going on with the NFL and one of the teams, the Redskins, now known as the Washington football team. But there when they were the Redskins, there's all the shit that happened. So it opened up like this cacophony of emails, like 700,000 emails amongst those emails were John Gruden when he was at ESPN using racist tropes, homophobic and transphobic or just, I guess, homophobic language, um, like calling the. Roger Goodell, the commissioner, the F word Mm. talking about a black guy's big lips, stuff like that, and so on and so forth. So this stuff leaked as a result of this. Now, the big lips kind of racist comment leaked first, and he kind of survived that. And then that following Monday is when all this other shit happens. Like you call this guy the F word, you call this guy gay, whatever the case might be. So he resigned. And uh, so 
I'm just saying all of that so people understand that they're removing his whole image and likeness and everything from the game. And the reason that that's important, and I was explaining this to Micah, is not because they're removing him from the Raiders. They're taking him out of the game because you can create you know, teams, you can draft fantasy teams and kind of play these fake parallel leagues. And there are plenty of free agent players and coaches and stuff available for that for many years, even after they're out of the league. So um, don't expect to see John Gruden in your game, maybe even beginning now. Hmm. Also, PSVR is five this month in October. PS Plus members will get three still unknown PSVR games for free in November. So stay tuned to that. But congratulations to Sony for five. Well, I think it's pretty good years for PSVR, and I respect that they're really sticking to it. And we will see PSVR 2 next year. Also, we were talking about free game trials earlier. Biomutant on PS4 is free for five hours right now, right now until October 28th. If you're in the UK or Canada, you can download PS4's Biomutant and play it for five hours before purchasing it or moving on with your life. So give that a try. I also want to note that Activision has been quietly opening new teams through its already existing teams. Infinity Ward opened a new studio in Texas, and we learned just before recording, in fact, that Sledgehammer is opening a European team. These are, of course, Call of Duty studios, so they're expanding their reach. And then finally, guys, before we get into what we're playing, Irish singer-songwriter Ava notes that she is apparently working on a song for a big playstation remake to be announced in december now of course the vgas are in december this is usually when games are announced playstation has a history of announcing games there so does konami by the way and people are thinking that maybe this is metal gear solid 3 which we talked about last week we have pretty much what i would consider more concrete confirmation that virtuous is indeed making metal gear solid 3 people point to a cv from Jiang Li, who is the lead programmer of the studio. And he talks about working on an unannounced third person, a uh, third person action adventure game responsible for the engine, et cetera, et cetera. So people are kind of connecting the dots. Hmm. But Chris, I was curious, what do you think this big PlayStation remake is if it's real to be announced in December? Keeping in mind that I don't think that it could be Metal Gear Solid 3 or maybe wouldn't be because that's not a big PlayStation game. That's a multi-platform game. Yeah. But then who knows what this familiarity of this 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 singer songwriter Ava is for or AVA is for maybe maybe this person just doesn't know anything about games. So what do yeah. you think? I mean, it's just all conjecture right now. Yeah, I, I have no idea what this could be like. I haven't really heard any rumblings outside of just Metal Gear and Ava. Like, I have no idea. Like I've never even heard of this person before in my life. So this is rumored to be announced in December. Is that is that? What yeah. It? So the she this person I'm probably game awards right. right? I would Irish, Ava is I'm sorry. I, I said it's probably the, a game awards announcement. I would imagine. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's what we were saying. Is like it's gonna be yeah. Ava McMahon. Ava McMahon is a contralto, contralto Irish singer. She's 30 years old. So she worked so, with the composer of Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at too from this Kamatsu article. Yeah. Right? What the hell? Yeah, I. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe Legend of Dragoon or something like that. Because I'm trying Whoa. to figure out like what would what would you have like that kind of music? I mean, that kind of music would make sense in Metal Gear. I've never played Metal Gear Solid 3, so I, I don't even other than like the first hour, I am playing it very soon because um, we're doing it on knockback. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank with this one. What do you think, Chris? Oh, I'm sorry, Dustin. I apologize. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the quote here. 
It's an Irish language piece that they're looking for. So that's kind of, when they say Irish language, they mean like olden sounding. Like Gaelic a, maybe? Stuff yeah. Like, yeah. That would point me to something more fantasy like a, a Xenogears or something. I don't know much about that that series, but yeah, there seems to be some connection there. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. That, that could be plugged in in a lot of places. So I'm... I'm excited. I feel like uh, Game Awards this year, there's already seems to be some uh, anticipation around some of the announcements. It's exciting. There's some buzz. Well, I think that we're, we're starting to see like a declogging of the pipe a little bit. And yeah. so now people are kind of getting ready to say like, okay, we can at least talk now a little more. So that's nice. We'll see that soon. That's in December. All right, let's get into what we're playing. And I want to begin uh, just by virtue of the games we're playing. I'm going to begin with you, Dustin. Sure says here you're playing Death Stranding and Metroid Dread. Do you have more to say about Death Stranding? I every time I play this game, I'm getting more and more into it to the point where, Colin, you mentioned about you loved grinding in uh, JRPGs. I'm just grinding out deliveries and building roads. And it should be boring because it's a lot of just transport, transporting materials to these these pavers. But like. Once you get it built and then you can just easily just drive across, it is insanely satisfying. So, I've yeah, been... I never took the time to do that. And I was always kind of because we had to move on. Right. And I was also moving right. at that time. And I, f I feel like I missed that aspect of like the the town building or not town building, but like city building, road building, interstate highway kind of shit. Yeah, that's been I think the biggest thing in the last point I'll, I'll make since I talked about extensively last week is just that. I felt pressured, um, not from anyone, but myself to finish Death Stranding quickly because I was afraid of spoilers and I knew I'd have to edit the spoiler cast. And so this time just like really diving in and like getting into all the different unique ways that you can use some of the tools in the game has made it so uh, even more enjoyable than before. So, yeah. I highly recommend that still. The director's cut, very good. Awesome. Then, uh, Death, uh, not Death Strand, Metroid Dread. I picked up this game on Friday. I was playing it over the weekend when I was at my parents in Virginia, and it is pretty good. I don't, I don't have like any kind of hot take about this game other than it. Samus feels. Uh, is it Samus or Samus? I got. It's Samus. I got, it's, Samus. It's Samus. Anyone who's saying Samus can go fucking themselves. Know, That's not how you say the fucking word. I have no <laughs> feelings about this either either way, but someone Ugh. was an asshole to me about it, so I'm, I feel very sensitive. Samus? Someone said Samus was the right... That, I need, think that I, person needs to be put in fucking jail, man. I think I said that on a show at some point. Either... Uh, I just... I wasn't... I don't know. It's I Samus. just don't know. Are you Samus. confessing? What? Are you confessing? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not being. Sure. I'm not being sneaky about it. I'm saying I, I okay. said that, good. and okay, I just wasn't good. even. So I have no strong feelings either way. The story's about you, then. Yeah. So, okay. Metroid Dread, pretty good. Uh, I saw. I think that. Well, well. Let's get into Corey's question because I think that will will kind of guide some of the the thoughts I have. Well, this goes into what. I was just saying, and it's more of a microcosm of it, but I'm saying like when something comes out, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then quickly things start declining. And I noticed that so rapidly with Metroid Dread, which just came out. Mm. Right. And so Corey Ramon wrote into us, Corey Ramon. He says, hi, gents. I wonder if I can ask your opinions on what you perceive as truly being worth 60 pounds in his case. 
This week, Metroid Dread came out, and although it has received generally favorable favorable reviews, there have been a lot of talk about whether it's worth 60 pounds. A lot of people believe it to be worth 30 pounds instead, and they think this is due to the lack of complicated mechanics, lack of truly expensive environments with static backgrounds opted instead of questionable AI. Jaffe has also been on the attack, stating that the game has really poor level design as well. How is it that a 2D side scroller like Metroid can be worth 60 pounds, but outrage over something like Returnal, a far more visually and mechanically impressive game for 70 pounds is seen as the end of the world? Is this Nintendo bias again? A far more visually impressive title like Ori in the same 2D vein as Metroid launched for 30 pounds. Keep on doing you lads. Obviously, Corey, you're in the UK. We appreciate that. I just want to convert these. We'll just talk about dollars for the, the for our purposes, 30 and 60 dollars, 30 and 60 pounds and 30 and 60 dollars are not the same. You guys are definitely paying more for your games over there. No doubt. I really I really get annoyed at these conversations. Mm-hmm. Me too. I bet you Metroid is worth 60 dollars. Just because it's a 2D game doesn't mean it's or, you know, side scroller. It's not 2D, but a side scrolling game doesn't mean that it's not necessarily worth $60 any more than a game running on Unreal makes it worth $60. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about your enjoyment. What are you getting out of it? This is what I'm this is it ties back into all the conversations we have about time and money and bandwidth. Was do you feel like you got $60 out of Metroid? Then it was worth $60. And you can't really just put a concrete number on and be like everyone's gonna be okay with this number which is why i think it's good that triple a games just kind of all cost the same and exploring that space is up to every individual publisher and developer but dustin i am curious what you make of this this persistent and what i think is now a pernicious argument surrounding this game and um it's caused some drama and is it nintendo bias i don't think so i think it's people have to kind of wrap their minds around we have a very high quality first party and second party output in playstation these days it's true but I would love to see a game like Metroid Prime or I'm sorry, Metroid Dread come out of a first or second party team. Right. That'd be awesome. Yeah. To me, it's just like it's it's what you said. Value is in the eye of the beholder. You know how much the new Far Cry is worth to me? Zero. There is not worth anything to me oh. because I don't think I would enjoy that game based on the history. It's no problem. I know a lot of people love that game. I'm sure it's a fine, finely crafted game, but it's not worth anything. To me and i don't mean that in any offensive way so metroid dread may not be worth 60 dollars to a lot of people that's fine but when you start to get into like oh well it's 2d or the graphics aren't quite as good that's just stupid like straight up to me because there there's so much more to a game than than how it looks or what genre it is like clearly if you think that then you haven't been playing enough types of games to realize that so this conversation to me over this past week has been very annoying and i think that also this comes back to reviews and games how not only are they like bad for the people reviewing them and stuff like that but part of this conversation has come down to the fact that metroid dread i think reviewed higher than people expected and so now the conversation is around like well were the reviewers really right we saw that with Deathloop, uh, and i think that specifically was attributed to ign and GameSpot's review which those reviewers are entitled to their opinion it's not like we've talked about this too it's not the the ign company-wide everyone says this game is a 10 right that reviewer gave it a 10 and so mm-hmm. if you agree with that person's body of work or what they said, then you may be in agreement. You may not be, but that's because a review is an opinion. And so 
to see this happen multiple times throughout this year where a game scores high and then people feel this need to get nitpicky with it like they need to say that the reviews are are wrong for one reason or another and it's like dude like i said a review is opinion you take it or leave it you know you know what i've noticed too especially in regards to this uh i mean this has ha- been happening a lot this year i've noticed is that there's a lot of viral unfair comparisons yes between games that just sort of th- come up out of nowhere and it's like i i saw this thing it's like sony 60 dollar game Nintendo $60 game and it was like some fight in Metroid and God of War and it's like what are you comparing this is insane or like the fruit with like uh, the Halo Infinite and the Last of Us or like what is, what is going on <laughs> like why why are you comparing God of War to Metroid this is I don't know I don't know if it's like a and I, this is probably like I know Collins talked about how uh, how bad the the fanboy kind of mentality has gotten lately, and I, I for a long time I didn't really see that, like mainly because I wasn't paying attention. But I think now that I've seen a lot of these like weird these weird Twitter accounts that kind of go out of their way to like make unfavorable comparisons between two games that like don't even remotely exist to facilitate the same demand, I'm inclined to believe it because this is crazy how regularly I see these videos. Of just random games too, like makes no sense. It sucks. Yeah, I don't even understand. I don't even understand what anyone gets out of it, other than this weird sense of pleasure. Yeah, I want PlayStation to do well because I like PlayStation. Right. But I've said, I've articulated it so many times. If it was somehow realistic, where it was only me playing these games, then I, I, I wouldn't affect it. If whether I'm, I'm sharing the experience, it would be like saying like Grand Theft Auto Five sold 150 million copies, so you enjoy it so much more, right? Like. Why did you like it? Then what does it matter if one hundred forty nine point nine 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 million other people bought it? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Value, right? Like it. it yeah. Yeah. Value Talk. value in entertainment feels very. Uh, inherently subjective, almost like I, I would pay. I would probably pay upwards of two hundred dollars to play Bioshock for the first time again. You know, mm-hmm. like things, yeah. things like that. I hear you. And I, I wouldn't pay over ten dollars for the new Far Cry, you know. Or like an Assassin's Creed. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay over ten dollars for a new Assassin's Creed. So much well, Far Cry hate. <laughs> I know hate, a lot of UB hate. Well, I mean, it's told, we're gonna hate on UB later too. But yeah. but it it's uh it's funny because you said you know to to kind of have that Men in Black erasure of the mind and go play Bioshock again. It's like I would pay two hundred dollars for a Bioshock remake. Now we won't. The beauty is, is that that will happen eventually, and we won't have to pay that much for it. Right. But it goes to show you that the, and and a game like. Journey. I think Journey was 1999 or 1499 when it came out on PS3. That game is worth to me an exorbitant amount of money just based on the way it made me feel when I played it. I never played anything like that before. Gone Home is a similar game where everyone disparaged it and called it a walking simulator and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like that to me, that was a very powerful game. And then there are games like three fourths home is another game I really loved, which you can beat in like 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just think people need to Think more carefully. I have no love for Mercury Steam at all. In fact, out of all the developers in the industry, I probably hate them more than anyone because they're the ones that were responsible for getting me blacklisted at Konami. I fucking hate those dudes. You know, they were super hostile and super mean to me personally. But I believe that they made a great Metroid game. And I think that we're looking too much at money as the only 
currency. Yeah. But it's not the only currency. You know, delight is a currency. Time well spent is a currency. Deep yeah. thought is a currency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like if you, if you spent 50 hours playing something and you enjoyed two hours of it, like wholeheartedly, like really like felt real genuine joy for two hours. Is that worth more than like a five hour 2D experience that you loved the entire time? I don't, I don't think so. You know, and I just, I don't know, this weird, the, the whole, the focus on money, I think is just detrimental. Like there, there are situations where I think you, you should bring it up, you know, and I, and I think those kinds of uh, moments in time are pretty obvious. Like if, if someone's like, hey, you want to pay like $70 for a battle royale game with one map or whatever, it's like, all right, well. You, there's a conversation to be had there. It's like, all right, well, what? Sure. Are, but it's not even less. It's not even really about how much it's worth, and more about like the strategy of the developer, and and like like what are they thinking doing this when, you know, like it's not even necessarily about the price so much as it is about like the strategy. You know, I don't know. It's just it's just a weird conversation. I agree. I just. It's like the fights you see in corporate boardrooms or something, but like with people that have no money invested. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I don't. Yeah, it's I don't understand. Like, what do you have invested in this? Like, literally or figuratively? I literally have money invested in Microsoft, and I figuratively don't give a shit. You know, it's just like it's good. What it, it is, what it is. Yeah. Me cheering for a company or rooting against a company, and, and people that try to conflate it to sports, I think, are doing a great disservice, specifically because sports fandoms are out of control too. So I wouldn't necessarily look at that and be like, well, they do it in sports. I don't go to fucking live sports games anymore because they suck. People are drunk and belligerent and mean. And like, oh my God, it wasn't. I mean, it's always been like that in certain places, but it wasn't like that in all places. And I think just partisanship, tribalism, X and Y, black and white, square and circle. It's just all just all competition for no apparent reason. And I'm over it. All right. Chris, let's move on to you. Mm-hmm. You've been playing Deathloop, and in fact, so have I. So, uh, and, and indeed, I texted you, and I was like, I really feel like you're going to like Deathloop, and I've been eager to talk to you about it. I'm a few hours into it, and I have a lot to say already. I want to say much of what I have to say for the review spoiler and re- review discussion and spoiler cast we'll do soon, but what, what is your take so far? Yeah, so my take so far is I, I like it, but I feel like I'm playing it wrong. Like, I feel like uh, the game's giving me a lot of things to focus on, and it kind of happens all at once, it feels like, periodically. Like, periodically, they'll be like, it's almost like a tutorialization of, like, the main menu that happens, like, a couple times. Like, first, at the beginning of your first day, and then, like, at the end of the first loop or whatever, it just has this weird, like, this is how you set the time, and this is how you, it's like, oh my god, all right, like, I'm sorry, like, I don't know why things like that overwhelm me but they do for some reason, but I enjoy the moment to moment, like going, like going to my objective and like kind of finding different routes and, and disposing of enemies in like different ways. And actually playing the game is like really enjoyable. Like I really enjoy my time going through it. I think the world is really interesting. I think it plays really well. I so, have, I'm sorry. Keep going. I got to go get the door. Oh know. yeah. <laughs> sorry. Go, keep going. No worries. Uh, no, I'm, I'm having a good time with like the, the different types of weapons that I'm finding, but it's man it's it's confusing me a little bit because there are certain things that i'm programmed into thinking that 
from other games that I've played that are kind of like it that are not true. Like, I remember, like, I unlocked the blink ability, right? Right, yeah. And then, but I unlocked the blink ability at the end of the first loop, and then I started the loop again, and it was gone. And I was like, oh, okay, right. It's one of these. I'm not thinking about it in terms of, like, roguelike, because it's an FPS, and I just mm. haven't really thought about it like that. I usually think it's like, oh, I unlock something, I have it, you know? Or at right. least I can stow it away for later. And getting over that kind of dissonance in my head where it's it's hard for me to reconcile FPS and roguelike in a way that isn't frustrating. Like mm. like cuz I remember like when I when I started the loop again and I didn't have my blink ability, I was I was frustrated. I understood why and I understood the reasons and I understood okay, this is a roguelike in my head. I have to connect FPS to roguelike in this weird mental connection thing, but I was still annoyed but it but not in like a way that made the game bad or unfun i think i just have like mental connections that i have to like really hardwire because i have never played as far as i know a roguelike fps in this way so does that make sense yeah here's something very interesting that you that you said this and it made me remember i think that this game has a critical flaw because i've heard many people with your experience is and i don't i'd have to go back and replay this section but i guess this is a very light spoiler but you do this mission early on where you unlock the ability to save things across loops mm-hmm. and so so have you done that have you done that not yet? not yet i i just finished my first loop and i like i i because uh, I started it a couple weeks ago, but then I was like, I got sidetracked by a lot of stuff, and I, I decided I decided to go from the beginning again, like uh, right yesterday. So I'm like still early on, but I haven't gotten. I, I assume it's like residuum, whatever. Is that what it is? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, residuum. It's not a big deal. Residuum. Yeah. Residuum. Right. Yeah, and I, I just, I just. By the way, just to butt in, I, I just got past that point. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten that yet. So like I, I started the loop again and I lost everything and it, it was frustrating to me. I was just explaining. But like it's hard for me to and you weren't here when I was explaining this, but it's 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 hard to reconcile for me sometimes the fact that it's a roguelike and an FPS because I haven't played anything like it. But I am having fun like the Like the combat feels good. Like the weapons feel fun. I, I, I especially like those like charged like pipe how, what, oh, what kind of, like the, the nail gun pneumatic gun thing. Yeah. And you could like stealth shit and stealth, yeah, stealth around awesome. with it. I like the load mechanic or the load animation for it too, because he like dumps a bunch of nails into. The yeah, top yeah, of it. it's just a. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's got a lot of style and a lot of uh, a lot of charm. I like the I like the aesthetic. I like the atmosphere. I like the way that Colt and, and Juliana banter, which is nice because in the beginning I remember being kind of annoyed by it. I was like, ah, it's one of these where they're just not going to shut up uh, the whole time. But they're actually like really fun characters to listen to. And I'm slowly, it's a game that I'm slowly coming around to as I learn more about it. But the, but at the same time, the more I learn about it and the more I like it, the more I feel I'm missing. Because I, I feel like there's so much here. Than, there's more here than I expected, I think. Um, it's a more complicated game than I think a lot of people are giving it credit for. Granted, I'm really early on, so I, that could change entirely by the end of it. But I think I think I like this a lot right now i'm finding a lot of reasons to kind of explore like there's this there's this mechanic uh where you can go 
forward in time or like you, you can wait an afternoon or something. And, and I, I remember seeing these people digging in a tunnel or whatever, and they were looking for something. And I killed them in my first playthrough. And then when I learned about it, I went back at night and that tunnel w- wasn't didn't exist because I killed them. Right. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if I don't kill them. Will the tunnel be there? Like, and I'm starting to think about this and that might not even be in the game, but I'm starting to think about it like this as if this was a real place. And that's really trippy. <laughs> like, I haven't had a game do that to me in a very, very long time where I'm like convinced of certain things that like, oh, there's no way a developer would have put this in. But I feel like I feel like that is in there. And that's insane. It's a complicated game. I got to get more into it. But my gut is telling me that I'm, I'm liking this, even if I feel a bit stupid right now, because <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of things I'm not grasping. I think that's my major complaint about it so far, being just a little bit further than you is just I wish the game would just shut up and get out of my way already. It, it just constantly there's just like, do this on the screen, then do this, then do this. You just unlock this and now you do this. And I was like, you have such a fun game here. Can't you boil this down a little bit better to... Mm communicate the information the vital information necessary like why am i going through multiple loops before i can like save things on my loop right like why are you it's just like just it should be more returnal like where it it tells you a little less and you figure out a little bit more maybe we're a little spoiled because i think returnal is certainly the superior game when it comes to you know it's roguelike mechanics and kind of its stickiness but i've heard this complaint that the game is in fact once you get a hang of it too easy and James Derrickson wrote in and said, hey, DC squared, I recently achieved my 50th platinum trophy, Deathloop, and I have to say that the list is damn near perfect. It is not collectible or difficulty based. It forces you to master the game systems and approach the visionaries in unorthodox ways. I have seen numerous comments of people saying the game is too easy, so it's clear none of them went for the platinum. For me, this game became the truly great. Once I started digging into that trophy list, most of them are quite challenging. Our game is missing out on some of the best aspects of games by not participating in the trophy hunt. And he says, can you think of any other instances? No, this is one. When I was looking at the trophy list, I was both annoyed and pleasantly surprised because it is one of those things where like do this this way, do this this way, do this this way. And none of it is missable because you can just replay the loops over and over again. It's funny because I will say this about Arcane. They really do have a feel and a look. And that's not something a lot of studios have. Mm. And I got to give it up to them. There's a clear lineage between Dishonored, Prey, and this game and even yeah. though they're bouncing out of you know two different studios one in texas and one in france this one's out of Lyon, or i'm sorry if we're in the united states a lion then i must really show some appreciation for that mm-hmm. because everything about dishonored and prey made me want to play them except for playing them i just didn't enjoy them but like everything about them like the idea behind them the mechanics the look what I was so happy with with Deathloop was it was the first time I've really played an, an arcane game where I'm like, I want to stay with this. And I just wish it would shut the fuck up. That's like my <laughs> only complaint. It just talks so much. And I'm not even talking about Colt and Juliana. I'm talking about the game itself. There's too much arcane knowledge necessary to understand these mechanics. And the menus are a hodgepodge of nonsense and weird iconography and yeah, yeah. By the way, inexcusable. Here's an inexcusable fatal flaw. N- under no circumstances you have mouse type movement in a menu on a console. And, my, and no moving of a cursor. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not the way we work on console. You got to do little things to like little things again. Little things. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is weird. Like because I remember starting like starting the game up and noticing it had like that cursor thing going on. Like I'm playing on PC, right? But uh, 
because I was like out of town when I got it. And I was like, I just want to get into it. And I got it, I got it on my laptop and I've been playing it on PC and I noticed the mouse thing. And I was like, oh, I thought it was just for the the PC version, maybe. <laughs> but it's actually like just everywhere. Like it's in No Man's Sky also. And like all these like weird plays. I think it's in Avengers as well. It started with Destiny. And I think Destiny is really the only game that's, that does it in a way that isn't irritating. Probably because it was the first one. And it felt novel at the time. It was like, ooh, they got a cursor on console. Interesting. But now it's like, why is a cursor in a ostensibly single player? Like, I, I don't know. It, just, it feels weird in there. Like, it doesn't make sense. And the and the, I, I do agree that the UI is a bit messy. It's a bit style over uh, function, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Which is a little annoying. Sometimes I'm like, wait, which menu am I in? <laughs> I just, I'm not even really sure what I'm looking at sometimes. And it's annoying because there's a lot of cool stuff like you find a collectible or well, not even collectible. You find like a note. Yeah. And then that note comes part of your knowledge. You can go back and look at that knowledge. So you have like some knowledge of what the loop is like. And so it's all cool, but make it a little more readable. That's yeah. all. I do appreciate Arcane a lot, though. Like I, like Prey is a game that I couldn't get through. I couldn't finish it. But I got stuck and I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so loud. And then I had to move on to other things. But I love like the feel and, and just like the complexity of Prey and this is I feel kind of similar where I feel like I feel like the more I sink my teeth into this game, the more I'm going to like it. And it makes me want to know more about it, which is more than I can say for a lot of games that I play. Like sometimes I'll play a game and I'm like, I just want to get to the end, you know, or like maybe it's fun to play, but I don't delve into like, oh, the crafting system or yeah, like the or the alchemy system in Skyrim. Like I gave a shit. <laughs> like, but this is a game that's like making me want to like, OK, I actually want to like cross reference notes and stuff and like actually read and and it really does put this primary focus on information that I really, really like that a lot of games fail to do. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where I land on it. But right now I'm really enjoying it and I'm looking forward to playing more of it after after we record today. Yeah, me too. And uh, I will say, just to reiterate, beautiful game, and it's yeah. just so cool to see games running at this high frame rate and resolution. It just looks so good. Yeah. And totally a believer, as I've been saying many times now. The other game I'm playing still is Castlevania Advanced Collection, and Dylan Paulson wrote in and said, Greetings, gents. In relation to the last few weeks when a few of Colin's favorite games were released, Castlevania and ActRaiser, do you guys feel the need to not rush through a game because you're enjoying it so much? This happened to me with Crash Team Racing and Control. Both games I didn't want to end, so I held off playing for days or weeks at a time. Thanks for the insight and keep fucking that chicken. You will, Dylan. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I feel that way right now about Castlevania Advance Collection. I'm slowly working my way through Circle of the or yeah, Circle of the Moon is a Curse of the Moon. I can't remember who's one of them is the the Circle of the Moon. I think it is Curse of the Moon is the Bloodstain copy. Yeah, but uh, it's it's sad to know that we're gonna get through or i'm gonna get through this game and then there's gonna be two more and then there's gonna be one more and then they're gonna be gone and i'm gonna have to go back to the doldrums of modernity once more so i'm really i am slow burning it and i did, kind of did the same thing with act razor for a little while until i realized that they just added so much to that game but yeah it happens to me pretty often i get sad when a when a game i really like is over yeah and i felt that so way i'm really with trying the, to slow burn castlevania what did you say i felt that way with doom doom eternal mm. like i was like oh man i finished it i was like ah i want I want more of this. I'm I'm happy for Dylan though that he he was able to enjoy his time with Crash Team Racing. <laughs> yeah, you made a you made a bet. You tr you cashed it though. I did. I did. <laughs> Let's get into the uh, other pieces of news here. Big pieces of news that we should talk about maybe a little more extensively. Mm -hmm. We'll begin with number one, and I'm not seeing this story reported in many places, but I think it's important. Sony has quietly made a key hire 
That might not sound glamorous, important to we, the hardcore, but that's nonetheless a vital piece of the puzzle for the brand's future. They've poached Nicola Sebastiani from Apple. This is a major coup for Sony because Nicola Sebastiani was, since 2018, the head of content for Apple Arcade, Apple's vibrant and quite successful mobile game subscription service. In hiring him away from Apple, Sony is clearly looking to further buttress its mobile offerings under the PlayStation Studios header. Indeed, he's now a VP at PlayStation and the head of mobile. For now, Sony's specific plans with mobile are unclear, apart from Jim Ryan noting that this is the first PlayStation Studios endorsed mobile games, or I'm sorry, that the, that the first PlayStation Studios endorsed mobile games will be coming, quote unquote, sooner than we think in an interview some months ago. But Sebastiani, who was at Apple since 2013, always in a high level position, previously worked at Ubisoft and indeed has a ton of credits as, as a UB project manager during the PS3 era. Otherwise, we have to tip our cap to website Push Square for alerting everyone to this hiring, one that apparently happened in July and was only revealed because of a change to Sebastiani's LinkedIn profile. That Sony didn't announce this hiring itself is strange, especially with the first of what many uh, uh, the first of what maybe many mobile games using PlayStation IP coming to market in the coming months with Wipeout Rush. Still talking to them behind the scenes, by the way, at Wipeout Rush to talk uh, about the game on Sacred Symbols Plus. Hopefully that will happen soon. Uh, Dustin. I saw this and it's being reported in, you know, games industry and VGC and more hardcore places, but was surprised to not see this being discussed more fervently in PlayStation in more hardcore PlayStation spaces. I understand that we don't inherently like mobile games and these games might not work out, but nonetheless, Sony is clearly making it an investment in order to poach someone from Apple. The um, buy must have been substantial. And I will say I'm not a, I'm not a gamer on my iPhone, but Apple Arcade is by all accounts, a massive success. So I wonder what you make of this, uh, this hire. It's interesting just because we're seeing the, the two sides of this, that they're clearly wanting to invest in mobile with this, you know, most likely very expensive poach. But at the same time, we talked about their treatment of this wipeout game where it was like not acknowledged, not on the PlayStation YouTube channel. In fact, I think, at least at the time when we were recording, it was only available on IGN's YouTube channel, that trailer, which was just really odd. So clearly there is something to mobile. And I think that last time we talked about mobile, I, I mentioned that the space is, is changing quite significantly with something like Apple Arcade, especially. And we see controller support on these devices. They're also extremely powerful stuff like the iPad. Uh, well, I guess either the iPad or the the iPhone both have like incredibly strong chips that can... I'd be curious, someone who knows uh, spec stuff, like how does, how does the iPhone 13 Pro or the M1 iPad compare to like a PlayStation 4? Like how, what, how close can they get? So things are, are, are changing significantly. So clearly Sony sees something in that. They saw the success of Apple Arcade It'll be interesting to see how they tie together. Well, I guess the only thing they have announced right now is Wipeout. So maybe Wipeout's a game that was caught on the the in between of the old old mobile initiative and this new one. What I'm pleased about with this, Chris, is kind of what I'm, and this is me reading between the lines because we're kind of we have a a deficit of knowledge right now about what's going on with this hire, but. I was pleased that Sebastiani was the head of content. In other words, he wasn't the head of the monetizing systems. He wasn't the head of features mm-hmm. or anything like that. He was dealing with content. He was getting games. And I think 
that's pretty key because it means that he has all of the pertinent and necessary relationships to bring to bear for Sony in the mobile space. He knows the who's who, and I don't know who's who. Mm -hmm. I know like Supercell and shit like that, but I don't know like who's making the great Apple arcade games that people are really like digging. Right. And he knows. And so I think they're getting someone with a lot of product management knowledge, connections, and we have to see what the fruit born out of this is. But I think Dustin's absolutely right, too, that why aren't they talking about Wipeout? This is one of the great reasons why I want them to come on the show and talk about it with us, because I feel like that's intentional. So what do you make of this hire? Do you think that this is something promising for PlayStation Studios? I mean, it depends on how much you care about mobile, you know, like, like, I don't know if this really like, does this matter to me? No. But like, I assume this is probably a good get on PlayStation's perspective, just if they're really trying to take mobile seriously, there is something to be said about the fact that like, you know, Wipeout is being ignored and the fact that that's probably in some ways a little deliberate, but I do think I'm a little confused at the because he has he has relationships with a lot of mobile game developers and and presumably he knows like who's who he knows like where the talent is he knows like what people care about like what people are are are, you know playing and and uh all that information but aren't isn't the whole point to kind of because I was under the impression that Sony would kind of develop these games kind of themselves, almost like with subsidiaries of, of developers that already exist. Like maybe there, maybe um, you know, Sucker Punch would have like this a smaller team making like mobile games, so that those games would be kind of infused with the culture of these uh, big first-party studios, and they wouldn't have to go to extraneous random like developers like Supercell or like any other random like you know, f- you know, well-known uh, mobile developer to make something you know, tailored to an IP that they own so they could just do everything in house. That That's what I assumed was going to happen on some level. I thought that's why they weren't paying attention to Wipeout because Wipeout was just this kind of extraneous because Wipeout isn't by like a Sony first party team. No, right? it's by a studio called Rogue. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. That was my assumption was like, oh, they're probably like waiting for like the real like proper first party mobile games. But instead, they're just kind of bringing this guy who's probably whose main purpose seems to be facilitating the talent externally to make these PlayStation IPs into mobile games. And I'm like, I I don't know. It seems a little weird. I'm not a businessman, though, so this might make perfect sense. You know, you're not. But I don't know. It's well, yeah, we'll we'll find. I mean, my interpretation of this, to your point, is that I think he I don't know that that was ever Sony's intention. It would be cool if they did something like that. I think the only team that has some sort of mobile initiative was Insomniac. I don't know if that's still right. I think, but I think they even made a couple of games for mobile. They were, they were dicking around with a lot of like skunk work. Yeah. yeah. Type but stuff that's, there. that's why I, I kind of assumed because like we, we talked about how like Insomniac was kind of the model studio for PlayStation and how it was like, Hey, they have this like subsidiary of like people working on like VR stuff and like, Hey, here they have this like weird mobile division. And that's the company that seems to be putting out the most quality stuff more regularly so like mm. my assumption was just and granted this is just an assumption you know like, yeah, they never, they never it, went I, out and said anything about this but yeah it's, it's, I think it's, it's a fair one get. I think it's a fair assumption yeah my assumption is that he's now going to be there with a the pocketbook mm. and the IP right. and now he hunts with who makes the, the like sense in his Rolodex 
with the IP that he now has, you know, his hands on. Because that's kind of that's it's interesting because at Apple, there is no IP. They're, they're getting other people's games. Yeah. With this, it's like, OK, now go get games. And how exciting would it be for a studio to be like very similar to what Konami is doing in Japan, where it's like, here's all of our IP. You can hit pitch us. Maybe Sony does this in a much smaller and more private way. But I'm sure there are plenty of teams that would make a good game for X, Y or Z on on mobile. And you had said, is it for me? I, 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 and you said that for yourself and it's not. And I don't think it's for me either. But I must say that because of our affinity for PlayStation and of, of course, my own kind of indoctrination and trophies and into the ecosystem, I'm open to being sold on some of these games. That's why I'm a little cu- curious about Wipeout, because even if it's nothing, you would think you would say things like, Oh, yeah, I'll have trophies and all that. That's why I'm a little wary of it mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. But then it begs the question, why would you let the car go before the horse? You know, if you're not ready, then don't do anything. So I don't know. I digress. Let's get into this next one. This happened right after last week's show, but it's very important information. Number two, the rumors are not surprisingly true. Toshihiro Nagoshi has officially departed Sega-owned studio Ryu Gotoku the team behind the publisher's increasingly popular Yakuza franchise. This is frankly devastating news for both the publisher and studio, and while it hasn't been confirmed as of yet, it appears that Nagoshi is indeed leaving Sega to create a brand new studio on behalf of Chinese company NetEase. Nagoshi joined Sega in the late 80s and has long been one of their biggest names. A designer by trade, Nagoshi ultimately fell into both production and directorial roles as his career progressed, beginning as designer on games like Virtua Racing and Virtua Fighter, producing titles like Shenmue and Super Monkey Ball, and directing most of the Yakuza titles. He also rose to the role of CCO, or Chief Creative Officer, of Sega Games, and even sits on the Sega-owned Atlas Board of Directors, though it remains to be seen if he will retain that latter role. Nagoshi's exit corresponds with Ryu Gagodoko's 10th anniversary as a team, and as such, they announced a new structure to their executive suite while also announcing their next game. At the top of their new structure is Masayoshi Yokoyama, longtime writer and co-producer of the Yakuza franchise, who will have his hands full as Daisuke Sato, Longtime series producer and sometimes director is also leaving the team, though it remains to be uh, it remains. I'm sorry, though it remains unclear if he and Negoshi are departing together. As for the new game, it's a sequel to Yakuza Like a Dragon, though little else is currently known about it. In Yokoyama's letter announcing his ascendancy to the lead role, he says in part, quote, and I like this. I'm not going to say please believe in us. We'll continue to do our best and let our games do the talking, end quote. The Yakuza franchise of games began on PlayStation 2 in 2005 in Japan and 2006 in the West. Though the series saw many Western releases, it took a while for it to truly take hold. There have been more than 20 releases in the core franchise and various spin-off franchises across PS2, PS3, PS4, and PS5. The most recent release, uh, Lost Judgment, came to PS4 and PS5 earlier this year. Dustin, what are your thoughts on this? This is um, really big news and a real shame for Sega because other than I think maybe Persona Team and Atlas, this is the biggest thing they have right now. And... It's surprising to me that they just wouldn't do what was necessary to keep this guy and keep the team intact. But nonetheless, people are ascending new roles. And uh, I'm most interested to see if his longtime producer, Sato, is also he also left. And I'm wondering if they're going together. Seems like that's probably the case. So what do you make of this? I feel like there's a couple different ways that you could look at it. Obviously, we don't know the internal workings of of Sega, but. Part of me wonders if he's worked on Yakuza for so long, they've changed it up with Like a Dragon, which is cool. But then with Judgment, it's it's almost like, hey, we're making Yakuza, but different. 
Uh, it's the same, but different. It's a different, different story, but you get it. It's it's still the same formula. And clearly now that formula is more successful than ever. It took many, many entries in the franchise, but now it is uh, really become a big hit here in the West. And so maybe he felt like there was some gridlock in terms of creativity. He might not want to make these games anymore. And Sega is saying like, well, we gave you some freedom, uh, but maybe it wasn't the freedom that he was looking for. So it could be that, but there may just be an aspect where he has been at Sega for a long time, was given the chance at a, a brand new opportunity, a new creative challenge, and wanted to take it. It's unfortunate that it's with NetEase and, a, a, you know, we've uh, been on this uh, tirade against, you know, Chinese ownership and, and, uh, new studios. I feel like this is a little different because NetEase has existed and they're making a new studio. I guess they are poaching talent, but I just uh hope that it's a situation where he's feeling uh like he wants to do something new creatively. Guess we'll find out. You know, they Sega still owns some great studios, Relic, Creative Assembly, etc., but and Atlas, of course, like I said, mm-hmm. which is really just a subsection of publisher itself. But yeah, it's weird to see him go. Been around for a long time. Uh, we wish him the very best. Chris, I won't even bother throwing this to you. You don't play Yakuza, so what do you care? Yeah, yeah. good. But I think we can all share this next one, and I'm really intrigued by this story. Number three, Square Enix-owned developers IDOS Montreal and IDOS Sharebrook have announced that they're doing something a little different, especially for the workloaded industry of games. They're going to four-day, 32-hour weeks. As announced on IDOS Montreal's blog, it appears there's no catch. The teams aren't working four tens, in other words, four days of 10 hour weeks, 10 hours a week, which isn't terribly uncommon, but instead are working four normal days, no strings attached. According to IDOS, quote, this initiative is another step towards the embodiment of the studio's values, building a healthy, creative and sustainable work environment for our employees, end quote. As such, these teams will now close their offices on Fridays. However, as noted later in the blog, quote, the idea is not to condense the working hours into four days, but rather to review our ways of doing things and our quality time invested with the aim of working better. Above all, we want to increase the productivity and well-being of our employees. Concretely, we want to reduce the time at work, but increase the quality of this time invested, whether it's on a team basis or for the studio as a whole, end quote. IDOS Montreal, best known for its contributions to the Deus Ex franchise beginning with 2011's Human Revolution on PS3, also launched the Thief remake on PS3 and PS4 in 2014, and is on the verge of releasing Guardians of the Galaxy on both PS4 and PS5. It's clear what the game, what, it's clear that that game, rather, wasn't made under these new terms, so we can't yet judge the outcome of this plan, while IDOS Sherbrooke is an internal support team that doesn't make its own games, period. However, this could be a key move in an industry playing around with labor standards. Studios like Motion Twin, the team behind Dead Cells, is entirely worker-owned, while Microsoft-owned Moon Studios, the guys behind Ori, work completely remotely. Unionization is also taking root, with the head of Microsoft-owned team Undead Labs, who recently left that studio, outright supporting unionization of AAA studios, this, of course, also acts as a great piece of PR for Square Enix, though it's perhaps unfair to read that into this initiative. I am really intrigued by this because although I say make the, the art of making games requires lots of work and that I think that it's going to be really hard to keep creative people away from their desks and their projects, it's worth wondering what a world looks like where people work less. And as Dustin will say specifically because, you know, he's a full time employee of mine. 
our goal is to work as little as possible. And it doesn't work out very often for us. But the goal is always for people to make their own schedules, their own timelines, as long as things are, you know, as long as we hit our. So in other words, Dustin can work in the middle of the night for all I care, as long as the things get done on time. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are certain ways to appreciate people. And, and I think pay and that kind of, you know, package is important. Bonuses, all of the rest and that kind of structure. But I think hours and respect for people's times and days. I, I was seeing something recently circulating about the four day work week and the idea that like one day is for errands, one day is for family and friends, one day is for rest. And I think it makes people more eager to be there when they know that right around the corner pretty much always is a day off. You know, Monday isn't so bad when Thursday is your Friday. Wednesday isn't such a hump day when tomorrow is the last day of the week. And I think maybe it brings people to the table and says, like, well, we, we want to be here. We're excited to be here. This is different. Other places don't treat us like this. We want to put our best work in and put our best foot forward. And it's an interesting challenge. But like I said, we don't know what IDOS Montreal can do under this. And devs just simply 32 hour weeks for a dev is just it sounds comical. But if they have the money, the patience and Square Enix has the time, then let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what do you make of um, of this announcement from IDOS? I think it's cool. I think it's uh, I think we need a little bit more experimentation when it comes to, you know, just the way that we've been doing things for a long time, because in a lot of ways, the way that we the way that we organize our lives is a little bit antiquated, you know, a a lot of even just things like, hey, you should really go to college. Like, I remember that being like a pretty common like when I was young it was like you got to go to college you got to go to college and now I know a lot of people who are like uh younger who are like exiting high school who like in my family or in my friend's family who like their families aren't putting that pressure on them at all because the value proposition of college is hilarious you just go in debt for like maybe like a 10 percent chance of maybe getting a job and then like all these people are then overqualified to work the jobs that are available it's like a very different you know society that we live in compared to even just a couple decades ago so i think it would be wise to kind of experiment especially the people with the money to do so you know like a big publisher like square enix why not toy around with this idea like why not if you can afford uh to experiment with these types of you know uh shifting around of of of, uh social norms in, in this way i think um I think it's a positive thing. I would like to see even more experimentation with just business models in general in the United States. I think the fact that we live in a democracy and the fact that we live in a free country, yet every business is kind of run the same is kind of a little disappointing. I feel like it would be cool to see, you know, more worker co-ops or or, or more uh, studios where like, hey, you know, this is um, we have a four four, uh what is it? Four day work week or whatever. Or any number of different experimentations should be allowed here. And I think. I think that's interesting because not only does that not only is that interesting first off, but I feel like it helps us universally get to an understanding of maybe what works better. You know, I know the current system works really, really well for accruing a lot of money, but I don't think it, uh, it takes a genius to see that a lot of people are miserable. <laughs> you know, that's, and things there's no doubt about and that. things aren't necessarily great mentally for the most for I would say even the fucking majority of people. So. Anything that you could do to shake that up and maybe with as long as the intention is, you know, to make things better, I I say, why not go for it? I think this is really cool. It's funny you bring in even different models, Chris, because David Fox wrote in and said, dear CDC boys, 
ArenaNet and Ubisoft are creating a new studio in New Orleans, Possibility Space, based on a culture and work environment rather than a product or profitability. My question is, do you think this will produce markedly better, worse, or middling games? Personally, I can see how attracting talent to more favorable working conditions could generate unique game expressions, but without the driving force of profitability, this endeavor could also die on the vine. Is this just a PR move from a black-eyed Ubisoft, or is this a new way to comply with the goal of making a better product? What do you do to build culture at your company? Well, we had already kind of talked about that. I think the culture at Last Stand is built by respecting people's time, respecting them monetarily. Little things like no one has to invoice me. They just get paid, right? Like no one has to chase me for money. No one has to ask, you know, worry about if they can go get time off or if they need to reschedule something. We just try to keep it real loose. And I can't speak for other people that work with us, but I feel like it works, you know, other than Carrick, who left because he basically had his own thing that things that he needed to do. No one's left. No one's like been like, this sucks. And game working in games does suck for a lot of people. They get Mm -hmm. I was reading something about that website, the gamer. They literally pay people apparently twenty dollars for a review. Can you can you imagine that? What the hell? I wouldn't ask Chris to get out of bed for twenty (laughs) dollars, you know, so it's like. There are all these different ways to balance this out. But Dustin, I want to get you involved in this conversation because to David's David's point about this possibility space and everything, it is interesting, although I don't want to make an excuse for artistic people. But let me let me use this as a and I'll be a little fanboyish because it's like someone I really like. I'm a big fan of Marcus Smith, an insomniac, a buddy of mine, but he's the director of resistance. He's the director of Miles Morales. And Marcus is a hard worker and comes up with a lot of good ideas. But if you just let Marcus come into work and kind of chill and there's no expectations and stuff, that one idea he might come up with that year is better than, frankly, what a development team somewhere else might come up with. You know, in other words, you have to figure out a way to mature and hold on to and give room to your talent. And often artistic people are just strange Mm -hmm. and they don't want to work five day work weeks. And they might still work 40 or 50 hours a week, and I bet you they will, but they're just being not telling them they have to is probably a huge deal in and of itself. So what do you think about these different strategies towards worker happiness and, you know, creating the next big studio? I'd be curious to see what studies have been done. I just did like a, a quick Google search because I know that this is a more common thing in Europe. In fact, I just there's a headline from Forbes that Spain the entire I don't know if it's the whole country or if they're their government, but it says Spain is the latest country. To try a four-day work week so clearly there's something to it that there's uh countries on a national level are trying out stuff like this to david here bringing up this uh uh possibility space uh, would it create a better game i don't know like you see games that were crunched on uh so to say that are terrible and games that had a lot of crunch they were also very good so i don't know if the amount of time spent means a better game necessarily i think it all just depends on the the quality of your studio and the people that work there which an argument could be made that uh their the quality of their work depends on uh their how many hours they're they're working if they're working less hours like we talked about that maybe the quality of those hours would be better right and i mean I'm, i think that kind of thinking about how it applies to us which is very different like i think that we work with people that are exceptional at 
doing this type of thing. And that's a huge contributor to it. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see once we have actual situations where this has been tested. The thing is, even though like, let's say I just Montreal comes out with a bad, their next game is bad. Does it mean that it's because of the four day work week or does, is it because they just don't have the same level of talent as another team? It's one of those things that you can't necessarily just find the answer based on their next release. I think this is something that's going to have to take years of experimentation uh, across multiple studios and maybe even slightly different strategies. I mean, you could do a four day work week where you have like Wednesday off or something you two days on a day off two days on something like that maybe that's terrible but it's um that sounds like hell it's something to think about i don't know i'm sure someone out there has tried it but even then like or maybe a four-day work week where those hours are extended maybe that's a better option as well like when you're working with creatives that want to put in those hours right i would be much i would my whole thing is i like how they're saying like we're shut on friday but it would be cool to just let people put their hours where they want you know, yeah, developing doesn't need to really happen in that kind of timeline. And like for me personally, I think it would be cool to work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, have that Wednesday off, just like split the week in two. I would I would dig that. But I feel, you know, I used the term skunk works before and that that is the term from I think it's um Lockheed Martin, but it's a term that means a place that's kind of secretive and closed off and funded. And then they just make shit. And Lockheed Skunk Works are the guys that made like the Raptor and the Nighthawk and shit, you know, like great things come out of this when you're just like, yeah, you know, like compile the best talent, leave them alone. And uh, I don't know that that's possible for smaller entities like Focus Home or something, but it would be cool for Sony to say, like, we have PlayStation Skunk Works. Now, they kind of do have something like this. I mean, with ICE, which is the initiative for the common engine and XDev and all of that. But it would be cool to say, like, we have dudes that just fuck around. And we're going to officially tag it some some name. And we not only do we test ideas for games and engines and technologies and all that, but we also test the test, the very structure of the way from an HR accounting personnel standpoint, everything runs and what we can learn from it. Very ambitious, but I think would be pretty cool. So mm-hmm. I support what Ubisoft's doing. And I certainly support what Square Enix is doing with IDOS. And uh, we're trying to do the same thing. It's hard for me to believe that 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 schedule will not collapse when their next game comes out. And I think it's easy to say we're going to work four days a week, five years from your next game. We'll see what it looks like in 2025 when you're crunching and maybe you will never come to that. But I doubt it because as I've said before, and I think I'll leave it here. But when you're an artist or a writer or something, it's never the way you want it. Eventually, you have to just leave it alone. People sit and change things over and over and over and over and over again. Now, if you just say like 32 hours and that's it, you'll get something. But I don't know if you're going to get the very best either. So we'll see. Number four, this is big news. Really big news. Uh, We're not much of a sports podcast, but this is really big news. Electronic Arts' FIFA franchise is far and away the most popular sports series in gaming history, and it's not even close. Each and every year since 1993, when FIFA International Soccer came to Genesis, EA has launched a new FIFA game with some spinoffs too. That's why it's impossible to imagine a reality where EA and FIFA no longer work with each other, and yet it appears that reality is quite stark indeed. Eagle Eye listeners may have heard the canary in the coal mine last week. I guess I should say eagle-eared listeners may have heard the canary in the coal mine last week when, in a press release announcing FIFA 22's historic launch, EA Sports' GM Cam Weber wrote in part, quote, As we look ahead, 
We're also exploring the idea of renaming our global EA Sports football games. This means we're reviewing our naming right agreements with FIFA, which is separate from all of our other official partnerships and licensees from across the football world, end quote. Weber spells this out. EA's agreement with FIFA has nothing to do with EA's right to 17,000 plus athlete names and likenesses, 700 global teams, 100 stadiums, and 30 leagues. In other words, Weber was setting the stage for what seems inevitable, particularly after a New York Times report expanded on the letter. The Times says in part that, quote, at least two years of talks about renewing the contract that allows Electronic Arts through its EA Sports division to use the organization's name have hit the wall, end quote, signaling, quote, the possibility of a permanent break after next year's World Cup in Qatar, end quote. As the Times continues, quote, the core of the dispute is financial. FIFA is currently seeking more than double what it currently receives from EA Sports, according to people with knowledge of the talks, a figure that would increase its payout from the series to more than $1 billion for each four-year World Cup cycle, end quote. That $250 million price tag for EA is, in other words, intolerable, and its letter celebrating FIFA 22 success was also a shot across FIFA's bow that EA doesn't need it. However, the Times admits that it, the issues go far beyond money and into the realm of which rights EA and FIFA retain in their agreements, including how they monetize players, etc. However, EA isn't messing around because it is already moving in the direction of abandoning FIFA. Electronic Arts has filed for a new trademark, EA Sports FC, which would likely be its new football name, uh, new football game brand name in lieu of FIFA. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen, though this seems to be a game of brinksmanship neither side should want. EA has made a staggering $20 billion in revenue from FIFA, while FIFA currently scores $150 million a year from the game, FIFA the organization. This is fucking crazy. I'm, again, because I think FIFA is both a not a core game and so popular, people ignore anything about it. But this is a massive piece of news. <laughs> Chris, what do you make of this FIFA it's basically EA saying we don't need you to call our game FIFA. And what's even crazier is that they're paying $150 million a year just to call their game FIFA. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, I guess they make a ton. So <laughs> it's yeah, not $20 billion over the last 20 years. They said on FIFA, that's nuts. That's $500 million a year on average. And they're making way more than that now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, like 150 million dollars. If if you have to pay 150 million dollars to keep making 20 billion, I feel like you, you, you know, I feel like you probably would. But I, I man, this is EA Sports FC sucks. <laughs> if that's the if that's the replacement name that they're, or if that's like what the studio maybe that they're planning no, on. No, it seems like that will be the name. Like FC is Football Club, so I think that, that it's going to be like EA Sports that's, FC. Yeah. That is not going to look I, I, as sad as it is. A lot of uh, a lot of success does a lot of, of video game success does have to do with the 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 brand, you know, like it like FIFA is important, whether or not EA would like to admit it or not. Like, tell me if you would have seen the Venom movie if that was just a random character not affiliated with Spider-Man, like no way in hell would you just like, oh, it's a guy with an alien in him and he's mad like that's not no one's gonna see that fucking movie people are seeing it because that's venom and that's spider-man you know fifa's as a name is is more recognizable to me than anything about it you know like i, I wouldn't be able to tell you a, a fifa game apart from like a random soccer game apart from anything like it'd just be like oh look but my assumption when i see any soccer game is that's fifa you know, and maybe they can get away with it. Maybe. But I feel like and they, they most certainly will make a ton of money on it. Still, it's EA Sports. But I wouldn't be surprised to see the loss of FIFA as a label kind of 
hit them quite hard. Like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. It'd be like if they stopped calling Madden Madden. Right. Like, it was just like, oh, EA football. It's like, what is it? It's, it's, it's like the Aldi version. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It is. It's the no frills version. I, now, that these are great points. And, you know, Dustin, to continue the conversation, one of my favorite memes is the, the picture of Bugs Bunny reading the newspaper and looking up from the newspaper. You know, like behind the yeah. desk, it's just like a, an image of him. Like, you surprised. And I felt like that is what Konami looks like right now. Because for, for two different reasons, eFootball's fucked up, as we talked about last week, and they're apparently rolling out an update on October 28th that's going to fix some of this stuff or begin to fix some of it. But Konami is like, whoa, maybe we can get the FIFA name and it wouldn't be the same game. But my mind immediately went to that first where I'm like, Konami's probably like, yes, like there's some sort of turmoil over there. This is perfect. Right. And number two shit man do we make the play for now i think that that's too rich for them because it looks like fifa is looking for 200 million dollars plus a year and also i think you can't necessarily call it fifa 22 or something like that but they probably could call it e fifa e football like you know and, and put them together so that's just where my mind went it's always funny when gratuitously rich people refuse to get richer together what do you yeah. think <laughs> it is weird <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think i have a, a a ton to add just to to say that brand names are are very important i mean it's funny because we were talking about brand names in a totally unrelated thing with aldi earlier but when you're the name of your game is fifa it has the official feel it's like this is the of the this thing you love which is whatever organized soccer football uh this is the official version this is this is the version right even though uh e-soccer or e-football i keep saying soccer e-football from konami also has the same players and teams something about it doesn't feel as official because it doesn't have the name fifa so i mean i'm just looking at your notes here colin but 20 billion in revenue revenue and they're gonna give them one 20th or approximately that of that right uh I, I don't know maybe my my ratios are off but it just seems like that would be a, a price worth paying to keep that name but yeah i, I, I would agree now the only other thing i would say and because I, I know people are going to write in about this is fifa's reputation is really bad not the game but the organization yeah, they're yeah. known as really fucked up they they take bribes and like the qatar games for instance like the world cup in qatar like everyone knows that that's nonsense that that country has no business hosting a World Cup event. They had to build all their buildings. They were using like imported labor and people were dying. It was all it was all screwed up. So there, there might be some sort of an initiative there, too, where they're like, we don't want to be involved in this. I will say this to close up, though, if they intend on doing this following the Qatar game or the Qatar Cup. They got to do it immediately. I think this is a band that you got to rip off. If you don't want to be associated with this anymore, then you have to do it now. Every year that you wait, like even. They, I think they could probably do it immediately. They would just have to pay FIFA money until their contract was up. So they could literally do it next year. And I, I don't think it's a bad idea because mm -hmm. I think you just want to be like, that's just it doesn't help us to wait three years. It doesn't help us to wait two years. If we're going to get rid of this name, let's do it. And I feel like EA is going to do it because while it's a trivial amount of money compared to how much money they're making, certainly these are the same guys that refuse to let their studios, for the most part, use good engines. They, they, they got they have NHL running on frostbite. You know, I mean, at some point. 
it seems like they're a nickel and dime publisher. And if they can save the money, they're going to. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what is in a name if that ever happens. Yeah. Chris, this one's for you. Number five. A week or two ago, we discussed Ubisoft's new game announcement, the rather strange Ghost Recon Frontline. We made fun of its generic name, yes, but we also questioned the wisdom of the game full stop. After all, it's a free-to-play, massively multiplayer game in a series that at best typically supported small squads. Well, no one seems to all too impressed, and Ubisoft seems to understand that, so much so that it's delaying indefinitely its closed test. In a brief message posted to its social media pages, Ubisoft says in part, quote, We have decided it is best to postpone the closed test for Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Frontline. The development team is dedicated to creating the best experience possible. We'll share details on the new date for the closed test as soon as we can, end quote. Ubisoft, the holders of the Tom Clancy name, first released a Ghost Recon game back in 2001, with the game finding its way from PC to PS2 in 2002. The tactical shooter created by Ubisoft's own team Redstorm, a studio made specifically to focus on Tom Clancy games, they're now making the new Division game, was followed by a sequel in 2004 and then a series of spin-offs beginning with Warfighter in 2006. The most recent releases, 2017's Wildlands and 2019's Breakpoint, both on PS4, weren't well-received, and it's obvious Ubisoft thought it prudent to bring it in a new direction, though the audience thought otherwise to such a degree that Ubisoft won't even show audiences what it has. What we may see more, of course, remains to be seen. Chris, Ubisoft seems to be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. I don't know what's going on over there. What do you think about them just saying, nah, never mind? <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of crazy. Like, this is, uh, <laughs> ah, never mind. The, it, they seem so disheveled. Like, they, it's like Ubisoft is always just getting out of bed, it feels like. Where it's just like, what do you, what have you been doing? You just have, like, all these, like, weird games that nobody asked for. You're mishandling all these IP that nobody wants you to be mishandling. You're... You, I mean, I, I know some people who enjoyed Wildlands, despite the fact that, like, they, they didn't think it was, like, amazing or anything. It was like, yeah, Wildlands is all right. It's fine. But then the second Breakpoint was out, like, I didn't hear anybody talking about it. And this new one was so obviously, like, I just don't know what they were thinking. It, it looks like everything we've ever seen. And then X Defiant on top of that, it just seems... Oof. They seem <laughs> like they don't have an identity right now, which is weird because I feel like they just recently kind of did something interesting. Like, like with, uh, what's that game that had like the really stupid name? It was Gods and Monsters, and now it's like, uh, oh, um, Immortals, Phoenix, Immor- oh, Immortals, yeah. Phoenix Rising, Phoenix Rising, yeah, Immortals. Like, yeah, yeah. That game, you know, it's not like an amazing video game or anything, but that's a quality title that's like interesting that Ubisoft put out and is, is genuinely you know, identifiable and and weird and not like anything they've really done before. And while at the same time still kind of evolving on on those things that they've done before, like with the open world and and just this comedic tone. Like I remember seeing that and like thinking like this isn't necessarily a game for me, but it's cool that this game exists. I'm glad that they're making like weird stuff like this. And then here we are. <laughs> with all of these like military shooters that don't even seem like anybody asked for them. It's it's a very confusing place for Ubisoft to be. <laughs> to the point where like we were talking about this in the last episode, but like I feel like EA right now is just doing the best 
out of all these three publishers right now, which is so strange to say, given the history that EA has, especially with me personally. Like, I will, I don't think I will ever get over the fact that they just shut down and uh, not Insomniac pandemic. It still bothers me to this day. But even today, I'm still like, yeah, EA is doing far more interesting shit than Ubisoft is, is doing far more interesting shit than Activision is. And they're even just running their business. They're, they're, they seem like they have a clear goal in mind or like at least some clear roadmap to like understand what the hell they're doing. Ubisoft really just feels right now like I think maybe because of this lawsuit <laughs> or not these, this lawsuit, but like uh, all the drama that's been going on as far as like, uh, you know, restructuring of certain certain powerful people. I feel like maybe that has something to do with it. But that's almost too easy of an answer. I feel like the problem here is a lot deeper than anything public facing. I will say that I think, you know, I'm looking now at the trailer for the game, just the the October 5th release trailer on Ubisoft's channel. And it has 4.5 thousand thumbs up and 18 thousand thumbs down. But the, the comments are interesting. It says... And one of them says, imagine being this out of touch with your audience with like uh, 1.2 thousand thumbs up and absolutely nobody asked for this with 455 thumbs up and RIP Ghost Recon, at least Tom Clancy isn't still alive to witness this trash. <laughs> 200 <laughs> upvotes. So it is just weird. Like they're just making games to make them. And uh, someone else in the comments says, you know, can we get a split? You know, can we get a splinter cell? And Ubisoft says, no. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's like yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It, no, it's it's just so weird because I, I'm looking I'm looking at the trailer now and and uh, or uh, it's it's go- Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Frontline full announcement video Ubisoft and it's on Ubisoft's North America page and it's just their community manager kind of like like just talking or whatever and then like it's interspliced inter- inter- with like footage of the game and I'm I'm just befuddled at what the pitch is. Like, how would you pitch this to me? Like, what would you say that is different from the last three times that you've pitched something similar to this? What you are seeing in this trailer, pitch it in a way that you think would actually sell. You can't do it, can you? But it sold (laughs) and they made it. They were like, yes, we'll do that again, except worse. And And we'll call it and we'll call it frontline. Guys, I have an idea. It's came to me in a dream. Ghost Recon Frontline. And it's a battle royale. And it's a just like battle all royale. the Ghost Recon fans love and adore. Oh, Matthew Mandela wrote into us and said, Hello, gentlemen, with the recent releases of Hell Let Loose and Insurgency Sandstorm, contrary to the announcement of Ghost Recon Frontline, is there a space for a true tactical shooter on console? Or is everything destined to be Pink Tiger Stripe 360 No Scope Fortnite Dance Fest? <laughs> I enjoy a slower grounded and more realistic shooter. And my hope is that Sony would inject that into this into the space with future SOCOM games. But love your thought on this and the future of shooters in the console space. Dustin, what do you think about Matthew's contention here? Hell at Loose did just come out. It is a PS Plus game. If you guys want to check it out, Insurgency is also out there and, and others. I, I really don't understand why Ubisoft is seeding this space. I guess it's an even more it's, a, it's a, I don't say more. It's a parallel conversation to what we have about Nintendo and Sony and, and handhelds. This is Ubisoft's fucking bread and butter, this space. I don't understand why they were really amongst the very first on console, Xbox, PS2, to be doing anything like what they were doing. And 
they totally ruined it. And what's interesting is that they really did fall off. I mean, this is a company that at one time was spinning up Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs at the same time that they were spinning up the next great, you know, online shooter. And they were working on something weird at UB Art and they had Rabbids or whatever. And it, it it's a far cry <laughs> from what they used to uh, do with this publisher. And I'm wondering why you think that is and what the hell is going on over there? Yeah, Ubisoft fell off, no doubt. I, uh, as far as uh, Matthew's question here about is there space for a true tactical shooter on console? Maybe somewhat, but I feel like with the, the rise of, of PC gaming, this just makes more sense on, on that platform. I think that's where you see a lot of those more, way more serious, very tactical, realistic games, something like Arma or something like that, which maybe that's kind of in a, a different category between sim and, and tactical but yeah. we see these games still crop up they're just simply not as as popular just because they're not as approachable it's not that they're worse games necessarily but i i don't know i i'm trying to think of some of these more tactical games they don't seem to do super well which is probably why ubisoft has kind of shifted these games over but there is definitely gets to a point where something loses its identity and i think that's kind of what we've seen with all of these ubisoft properties is the the loss of identity and it's a it's a delicate balancing act you need to evolve your ip you can't just keep doing the same thing but you also need to change things in order you know to make things fresh again so Clearly, they have uh, kind of lost the plot, I think. But it's good to at least see that they are picking up on on feedback. But at this point, I'm kind of like, well, yeah. what really can you do? Yeah, there's point? not there's not much you can. Like, it, it sucks, too, because I thought, like, uh, what's, what's the uh, Rainbow Six? Rainbow Six Siege. I thought Rainbow mm-hmm. Six Siege was a pretty good example of, like, that was a game that was, like, super successful. Like, it really exploded. That was, like, a big deal. Like, I had a lot of people telling me, you should play Siege. Like, a lot of people. I never I never got into it because, like, I'm just not really a tactics person necessarily. Not in that way, anyway. But when that game came out, it was, you know, a very rooted, you know, tactical squad shooter about, like, you know, infiltration and, and squad communication. And, and it slowly, over time, through the live service model, became this, you know pink tiger stripe 360 no scope Fortnite dance fest thing that everybody makes fun of now and i wonder like even if you did get like a really true to form tactical shooter how long would that last you know how long would that version of that game persist Hmm. probably not long because they got to find ways to monetize they got to find like some skin to sell you that looks outrageous in comparison to everything before it, because if it didn't, why would you buy it? And then that leads to just the game looking like a fucking, like a Halloween party. <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> it's, it actually, it really is a, a really disastrous consequence of, of live service and just like in-game monetization that I didn't even consider like uh, several years ago. But it really is true. Like every game looks like a fucking costume party now. And it's, uh, it's a damn shame. I'm going to skip ahead, actually, because we have six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas we always end the show with. I'm going to pull one of them forward because we really got into this conversation now. It would make no sense to talk about it later. Kevin Berger wrote in and said, hello, hello, you all rule. My question is, 
How do you feel about the talk amongst Far Cry 6 being too similar to previous iterations of the IP compared to talk around Ghost Recon being too different? Both sides seem to be annoyed. I think the, the answer to the Kevin's question here is that it's a Ubisoft problem. The answer is that both games might have a problem. And it seems like every series they have now has an issue. Yeah. Assassin's Creed. Don't know what they're going to do with that. All of the Tom Clancy stuff is in flux with the exception of the couple of games there. They, they have like what's that fucking pirate game? Oh, that uh, they've been making for like skull, skull and bones. Skull, skull, skull and bones. Yeah. Rider Republic. There's like a bunch of which are is a fine idea. But to answer your question, Kevin, I feel like it's valid to say we want something new and different. And I think it's also valid to say like, well, we we don't. And I, for, I was saying it before about Far Cry. The reason I'm excited about Far Cry is because I know they didn't change it. And for some reason, that's really attractive to me because I know Ubisoft is just morphing everything into something it's not. You know, now Assassin's Creed is 100 hours long. It used to be 15 hours long. Now it's 100 hours. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I think that people the only thing way we can we can communicate with the market like this with Ubi or others is to just continue to buy the games we want, continue not to buy the games we don't want and continue to vocalize however we can what we do and don't want. Because the reality is, is that I don't even know what they're going to do with that frontline game. And they did say, like, the team is excited, blah, blah, blah. But they have to really do something with it. You know, yeah. and I don't you have to, you have it, to it goes to it. say, like, what the hell are you guys thinking over there? It, it doesn't take like uh, you don't need an MBA to know that that was not a good move. No, you know? no. I, everybody could see that from a mile away. But like as far as like this question goes, like I think like, you know, oh, people want things to change, but then they don't. And it's I don't even think I don't think it's that deep, really. I, I think it's it's not that people don't want change. It's that people want change that makes sense within the context of the IP. You could you could potentially and I'm going to say this understanding what it is I'm saying, but hear me out. You could potentially make a make Splinter Cell into a good battle royale game. But you couldn't make a battle royale game that's a good Splinter Cell. We don't want like we don't want Crash Bandicoot the FPS. Although you could make a game that is that, that plays well and is functional and isn't the worst thing to experience, but that's not what people want. You have to understand what it is your game is trying to do and then change based on the spirit of what that IP is trying to do. If you want to make a modern Splinter Cell game, a modern stealth game, there's a million things you could change from classic Splinter Cell that would make it better and still Splinter Cell. There's a million different things from the original Ghost Recons that you could change and modernize that would still make it a proper Ghost Recon. This is not that. I, 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 I only say this because I'm, I, I get annoyed sometimes when people are like, people don't want change. Specifically, like people like got on my case about it because it's like, you just want Halo 3 again. And it's like, no, it's just the design philosophy of the games that people fell in love with should be evolved and iterated on with the spirit of that design philosophy in mind. You can't just go throwing random shit all over the place and just hope that like something cool comes out of it because that never works. You can't make an Assassin's Creed into a fucking character action fighter. You could, but it wouldn't be Assassin's Creed. And I think people just need to understand that it's it's not change, it's just sensible evolution and sensible iteration in design 
that people are looking for. People don't want the same thing over and over again. People just want to know that what they're getting out of a series and what they're getting out of an IP is consistent. And I think that's a very different thing. Mm, very well said. I think it ultimately boils down to Ubisoft's instinct when they look at Wildlands and whatever, and they, they're like, well, we got to change it. And maybe the advice would be like, why don't we just put it away? Yeah. For a while. Do something else. That would have just been the answer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we've seen anything from them yet because I think X Define is going to be one of those games that people are going to be like, what, you know, what the fuck is going on <laughs> with this game? But we'll see. Moving on. Number six. Turns out that Square Enix's MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV is absolutely huge. In fact, it's the biggest Final Fantasy game ever, though that may not come as a huge surprise. Word comes by way of the post, a post rather, on the official PlayStation blog, a post primarily meant to tease the upcoming release of the Endwalker expansion, which comes to both PS4 and PS5 on November 23rd, with early access beginning November 19th for anyone who pre-orders. Within the post comes amazing, albeit succinct, data. Eight years following Final Fantasy XIV's re-release, the game has, ha has more than 24 million players, quote, and has become the most profitable title in the Final Fantasy franchise, end quote. We say re-release because you may recall that Final Fantasy XIV originally came to PC in 2010 due to disastrous reception and only found popularity once fixed and released with A Realm Reborn, which first came to PlayStation 3 in 2013, PS4 in 2014, and PS5 earlier this year. Endwalker is the game's fourth expansion and is one of the PlayStation ecosystem's most anticipated titles. It's a little surprised then that the executive team responsible for Final Fantasy XIV, including its director and producer Naoki Yoshida, are heading up Final Fantasy XVI, the next mainline Final Fantasy game likely coming in 2022 or 2023, a timed exclusive for PlayStation 5. Dustin, what do you make of this? I mean, this is kind of similar in the sense that I was always confused about 11 and 14, why they were even named Final Fantasy, similar to Dragon Quest X, when they could have done something new. Fantasy Star Online is another good example, but... And that's with Sega, of course, but it's clear that Final Fantasy 14 is a massive hit. And it's even clearer that Square Enix making the strange decision not to abandon the game, but rather make it again, ended up being one of the most prescient, intelligent moves that they could have made. What do you think about this? I feel like part of this success story, you have to account for uh, just how much Blizzard has just completely dropped the ball with World of Warcraft. You yeah. see people, people leaving that game in droves to Final Fantasy 14. And so, and that's not to take away from the success of Final Fantasy 14 at all. It just goes to show that they have remained strong in a time where other MMOs, and I said, like I said, in particular, World of Warcraft, who was the king, have fallen off and they've they've taken advantage of, of that in a really smart way and while i didn't enjoy the opening hours that i played of final fantasy 14 people that play this game love it and they love it passionately and i don't think you can ask for much more from a creator standpoint is that people people love playing this game to the point where they uh are spreading the the word they're they're evangelizing the name of a final fantasy 14 and so I they're think the that's, jesuits of the video game industry <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so it's cool to see uh, i'm excited it's interesting my my thought process on this has changed when i saw that it was uh 
the the main team behind or the the uh the lead team behind Final Fantasy 14 was heading up Final Fantasy 16 that initially concerned me as someone who doesn't like that game uh just on a personal level maybe if I gave it more time I would I'm just not willing to give it whatever 60 hours before it gets good I just can't do that yeah but now I I think now that I think about it from a different perspective it actually is kind of exciting to see this team that made such a successful game in final fantasy 14 be able to make a mainline game that isn't online and to give them a chance to do something different it's exciting yeah i'm especially keen on because it's as you said they they might not necessarily be built for this but assuming they're multi-discipline then what they're really just bringing is organization i mean it's imagine how organized you have to be to run an mmo yeah. yeah, build it out, run that team, a lot of live service elements, new content, maturing the old content. I think that's where Blizzard kind of dropped the ball because I think they just wouldn't commit to doing a new World of Warcraft game full stop. Very similar to EverQuest, EverQuest 2 or whatever, and then EverQuest, whatever, next getting canceled out, right? I think World of Warcraft, I think Blizzard might have made a mistake around, you know, five years ago, just being like, let's just do another game, you know, as opposed to reviving and revitalizing this old structure maybe would have gotten them more interest because I think that, you know, not that I'm in the MMO space, but there's other competition there too. I mean, Elder Scrolls Online is no slouch and others. Guild Wars. Yeah. Now there's that There's new a one. lot of games there's that people a, love. What, what, New World or whatever? from uh, Oh yeah, the New World mm, of, from Amazon. Amazon. Yep. You know, some, some people that worked at Naughty Dog worked on that game, so uh, we're pulling for them, of course. But yeah, so we'll see what happens. But um, I hear you, Dustin. It was weird. But what I hope is, is that one thing I've heard about Final Fantasy 14, which I believe is that it treats the the franchise with a lot of respect. And as far as like iconography, call outs to names, monsters, lore. And maybe that's what we really need in Final Fantasy 16, because if there's one thing Final Fantasy 15 didn't do, it's made me feel like I was a Final Fantasy game in any way, shape or form. I, I actually went back to it earlier this year to try again. And I'm like, man, I just what the fuck is this? what is this i just i couldn't even get for i got even less far than i got the first time so anyway wrap up number seven website Komatsu reports adventure game virtua verse comes to ps4 on october 28th base building game evil genius 2 world domination comes to ps4 and ps5 on november 30th and racing game circuit superstars is ps4 bound at an unknown time in the future the official playstation blog reports adventure game roki comes to playstation 5 on october 28th Website Push Square revealed FMV game Bloodshore comes to PS4 on November 3rd, while Bassmaster Fishing 2022 comes to both PS4 and PS5 at, at some point in 2022, and Old School RPG 8-Bit Adventures 2 comes to both PS4 and PS5 at an unknown time. Just as a quick aside for Bassmaster Fishing 2022, it has a Battle Royale mode. The website Whoa. also reports indie RPG Solar Ash has been slightly delayed and will now come to both PS4 and PS5 on December 2nd. Publisher Capcom revealed that Resident Evil 7, launched in early 2017, has surpassed 10 million copies sold, the first Resident Evil game to do so, while publisher EA revealed its co-op-centric game It Takes Two, launched earlier this year, has now surpassed 3 million copies sold. And finally, publisher NIS America has revealed that JRPG Monarch, M-O-N-A-R-K, created in part by veterans of Atlas's Shin Megami Tensei team, has a release date and will come to both PS4 and PS5 on February 22nd, 2022. I'm really looking forward to that game. Did did you look at that trailer at all, Dustin? I have not heard of this at all. So I'm I think you should look it. into it, Monarch. I think it'll be up your alley. But as we always do, we end with today five, usually six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas submitted on the, by the audience on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. 
Remember, we usually do six again, but we read Kevin's question earlier. So let's get into even Savage's, Ian Savage's question. He says, greetings, C, C, and big, big D. With the inevitability of a PS5 Pro in the next couple of years, what do you guys expect to be packaged with the product? And would you even purchase it? Personally, I would love to see full 8K resolution, 120 frames, and ray tracing and supported games. However, I'm also expecting a high price, say, in the $800 range. But what do you guys think? You both shake no. That seems <laughs> implausible and almost impossible to me just because of the price. But like, what's the point? But um, we'll start with you, Chris. What do you f- expect out of the PS5 Pro? And is it in line with what Ian's expectations are or wants? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think um, I think you'll probably see the PS5 Pro do reliable 120. Like, I, I think that's already happening now with the base PS5 on a lot of a lot of games as as is. So it doesn't strike me as surprising that like more games would be able to like maybe reach that um, that threshold with a, a slightly stronger machine. I do not expect 8K. Uh, maybe that happens and maybe it's like maybe it's like a, a, a dynamic thing where it's like kind of like how uh, the PS4 Pro would like checkerboard 4K, you know, so you would get like 4K, but it's like kind of not really, but sort of like it passes. I could see that maybe, but like I just I, I am a full non-believer in 8K. Like like I really just don't see the point. You You need you need a TV so big to even notice at that point and i just i don't know how many people have that space or care to get a a tv big enough to really notice the difference i think 4k is like we're tap we're tapping out at 4k i'm sure you'll have like some luxury things at like 8k later down the line but like by and large i don't think 8k is gonna really be a thing yeah because as we've said you need a display yeah, you need display, to otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, it's it's like, hey, this game runs at two thousand frames a second, and it's like, all right, well, why? Just and what's, like, even perceptible, like, and what's even perceptible to the eye? Too, yeah, at a certain point. point, you're just making more work for yourself and putting more stress on a team for something that is ultimately not important. So, I, I think, I think what you're going to see with the PS5 Pro is a much bigger hard drive and more reliable frame rate. And resolution like I don't think you're going to see like a boost necessarily I think you're just going to see more reliable 4k more reliable 120 especially but I don't think I wouldn't expect like some crazy like graphical jump here we're already at a point where things are looking pretty good as is and I, I, I really don't see where you would I don't see where you would go from here not necessarily that things can't look better but it's more the value proposition of both the developers time and the people playing, it's like, are people really going to notice that I put four billion pixels on this leaf? Like, is it really, is it, is that a worthy task for me to do as a developer? Or should I, you know, focus on getting the game, you know, working? Right. You know, I just, I, the value Opportunities taken or opportunities lost. Exactly. Like, you could have the best looking leaf in the world, but if I fall through the floor, like, what use is that? <laughs> so... That's what I would expect. I wouldn't expect like a crazy hardware refresh. Dustin, what do you think? I, I, we have it on good authority that this is happening just because uh, we trust our sources. Um, and in, in this case, we can say that the sources Moore's Law is dead. We love him. So he says he has it on good authority from his sources that PS5 Pro will happen. And uh, maybe 2023 seems a little soon, but possible. And maybe it doesn't seem really soon because 2016 was PS4 Pro and that would be the same kind of time frame away from PS4. So what do you expect to see out of this machine and what would you want? 
And how expensive do you think it'll be? Too? Okay. Yeah. Well, but, well, before we get into that, I want to say I'm going to save Chris, both Chris and I from the comments because I did just consider there is an 8K 60fps PS5 game out currently. Oh, whatever. Oh, they called the Tourist. Jo- tourist. I was going to say Journey. T- yeah, Tourist. Yeah. Whatever. So we, you know, we're sh- we mean for like stand like normal <laughs> games, which yeah. the Tourist looks great. It's a fantastic looking game. I'm not saying it's not normal, but I'm, it's it's not like uh, you know god of war or something like that so it does exist which is ironic because technically the ps5 can output 8k but it's not unlocked through the the firmware so it's just downsampled even if you have an 8k display anyway how how, how common are 8 8k displays they're becoming more common now and they're more affordable i mean affordable. how big are they they have to be like 75 inches right minimum right i would imagine I think that well, the only one I've the only one I've, I will say I've seen one in person and the only one I've seen was at an Apple store and it was the entire back wall of the store. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, the what fuck? the hell is this? And he's like, it's an AK display. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, whatever. That was that was the only time I'd ever even seen one. And, and you could see the difference at that screen. But that screen yeah, was literally course, projector at, size. You know? No, yeah, of course, you're going to see a difference at that size. But like at a certain point, at a certain point too, like an like just going to make shit look worse almost. I'm just trying to watch like a fucking home video on a fucking 8K display. <laughs> yeah. It just looks like a fucking watercolor. Okay. Well, here's a quick example. Just real quick from I'm looking at Best Buy. You can get a Samsung QLED 8K TV. Yeah. It's 55 inches for $1,800. So it's still very expensive for uh, a TV of that size. But these things go down every year so i still i'm I'm with you chris though that i don't think that there's not a big enough difference for the the common person's eye that they're gonna be like i don't need to get that 8k tv also no 8k content either yeah tell you what if i if i have a room that is you know 50 feet tall i'll get an 8k tv yeah i'll get a 100 inch 8k tv (laughs) so as far as the ps5 pro yes i think this is what I think Chris said this a couple weeks ago, but I, I totally agree with him in that I would hope that it is a version that has less compromises in that you guys were talking about Deathloop. There's there's two modes. There's the 60 FPS mode and then there's the ray tracing mode and the ray tracing mode is not 60. So I would love for there to be a 60 FPS with ray tracing at either native 4K or even more and more. I'm OK with upscaled stuff to 4k because unless you're doing like extreme zoom ins and you're a reasonable distance from your tv upscaled 4k is in my opinion often just as good not always but as these upscaling techniques get better and better it's starting to matter less and less if you have native resolution so having that option uh with a ps5 pro that a more uh, uncompromised experience would be awesome more also on more 120 fps games would be great because i have really uh started to enjoy the the higher frame rate games particularly when the halo infinite beta was out on on series x and playing that at 120 fps huge difference was awesome yeah as far as price hmm this is difficult because people put video game consoles in a different category that I don't think is deserved. People will spend a thousand dollars on an iPhone or an iPad and it seems to be like 
people aren't talking. I mean, there are people that are going to talk about expensive. That is, of course, it all depends on how much income you have. But when it comes to video game consoles, when you bring out 500 people start to get antsy or something like it. it's like a little getting up there. So I can understand them maybe thinking like, eh, we don't want to go too high. Help me remember here when PS4 Pro came out, that was the same as the launch price of the yeah, it was PS4. 400 bucks. Then PS4 became $300. I, thought, I think it was even before that, but I can't remember PS4. That... Yeah. PS4 was $400 when it came out. Right. And dropped the $300. I don't even know what it costs now. And then PS4 Pro cost $400. I can't imagine that it would stay the same price with inflation and having better, better tech on the inside. So, you you know what I bet? I I, I would bet that the PS5 Pro is, will not have a disk drive. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I wouldn't be surprised to see like it, like the the PS5 Pro is all digital. No disk drive at all. I'll be so I'll make that prediction now. I really hope you're wrong. Wouldn't that defeat the purpose for some people though, because they want a native blu-ray machine or some some do they like the, per, the, the customer the customer that buys the pro machine wants the disk drive like i wouldn't care but i would assume that would be a bad move maybe yeah i mean there's I a lot know. of bad moves they could have two they yeah. could have options you yeah know? maybe they have like, options now yeah but that's the thing it's like they're gonna make another dual skew you know mm. i don't know have they ever done that i don't have know they ever done I, another I, have they ever done two dual skews at once no no, there was like different PSPs, different Vitas, and stuff. Different yeah. PS3s. But I guess they Xbox all kind of... has technically. Well, I, no, it... no. Ah, whatever. Who cares? This is this I, is I... how 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 far in the future do you think this is? This is like twenty twenty three, like earliest. Yeah, twenty twenty three. I think is what he said. Uh, my my prediction is that it will cost six hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and at that point, I think PS four will be or PS five will be four hundred bucks, and so you'll be able to choose. But there's also these inflationary pressures, manufacturing pressure. I think. Moore's law did say, although I could be mistaken, that like these changes, these plans rather can be in serious flux because goddamn nightmare in East Asia right now as far as getting silicon and getting things on the fucking container ships and getting them unloaded. I think we're going to see exactly how fucked things are this Christmas. And if that's the case, then I think Sony would be wise not to release anything and to just say we will worry about the PS5 Pro later when we can actually make new stuff. So we'll see. I think that's going to have a big part of it, too. All right. Next question comes from Nathan. He says, hey, CDC. Friend of the show, David Jaffe, recently did a video discussing the difficulty in games. He had an interesting take regarding the difficulty in games and how they should be approached by making the observation that selecting a a setting at the beginning of the game is somewhat antiquated. He believes that AI should react to how a player is performing and increase or decrease the challenge accordingly on the fly. As most AAA games have moved away from historically video gamey things like point systems and the HUD, do you think that dumping four or five arbitrary difficulty settings on the player should be a thing of the past? Thanks and have a good weekend. It's an interesting question, Chris. What what do you make of this dynamic difficulty? To me, I think this is a cool option right. to have as long as it's an option, because I think it's also cool to say, like, I want the game to be hard and I know I'm going to die a lot. Like, you know, when you die over and over again, the game's like, are you sure you want to play on a difficulty this hard? Like kind of trying to insult you. It's like, no, I'm sure I'm dying. I'm, I'm bad at the game. I'm trying. Right. I don't right. want the game to adjust that down because I'm trying to overcome that obstacle. So as long as we can delineate between the two. I have no problem with dynamic difficulty. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, like I think it's a cool option, but I, I would hate for dynamic difficulty to just be implemented bar like across the board in such a way that easy, normal, hard, and I don't know, whatever, like 
super hard is always like some random like ip specific thing like veteran or call of duty or whatever but yeah I, i feel like i would rather have the option to choose between them because like sometimes i just want to like play a game like doom eternal and not have to sweat you know sometimes i want to just jump in and like kill demons on like normal or whatever and that's like satisfying and then maybe like some and then on other days i'm like you know what i think i want to go for like that nightmare run i'm gonna see if i can get how far i can get through without without dying on nightmare and I'll do that, and then I, I have the choice of, like, what my experience is, is going to be, as opposed to, like, just a game that's constantly adjusting. Because keep in mind, you are constantly adjusting as well. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to be playing at, like, 100% capacity your entire time. You're going to be, like, letting up sometimes, or maybe, like, you get distracted. Like, imagine you're, like, in the middle of, like, a really intense run of, like, you know, any, any game that you're playing. And it's dynamically really hard. And then you get a call or whatever. And then you're just on the phone and you're like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm just playing the game. Is it just going to get like easier like that? Like, I don't know. I, I don't like that <laughs> as a base design right. philosophy. What I do like, though, and this might be a little hypocritical, I do find that games that don't even give you a difficulty option are more soundly designed. Or at least mm. games that have a difficulty option that says this is the, this is the one. Like, this is the developer-intended difficulty. I find that a little bit more compelling because I just find that they're able to make a game that's challenging without having to resort to, like, oh, we'll give you less health or, oh, we'll buff the enemy damage or just some random shit that doesn't really have anything to do with mechanics or gameplay or mastery and more to do with just upping numbers in the back end. I always I, I think of, like, Mega Man and stuff like that. Like, those games will never be easier or harder than what they are. And your ability to get through them is really all down to your ability to master it and get over it. And I like that. But I also like the flexibility. And I wouldn't want to have to... I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't want, like, dynamic re- resolution in difficulty form. Like, it feels weird. I feel like, dy- like dynamics belong more in online play and in online matchmaking where that kind of stuff can right. be written to an algorithmic certainty that you're you're matched up with players that you should belong with and that's where it belongs to me single player games for sure yeah yeah I, I, it's it's a cool option but again dustin i'm curious how you feel about this because i i again as long as it's an option it doesn't bother me but i'll just say like i always play these games on hard or very hard knowing that i'm really going to struggle with it and the game is going to think that i don't want to play that way and so i just want to make sure i avoid that as well right I quickly searched around when I read this question earlier and because I knew I had heard of some games kind of doing this slyly behind the scenes, but there's way more than I thought. There's even um, I'm looking at this article from a website SVG where they talk about in a blog post uh, developer at, at Naughty Dog during the time for Crash Bandicoot. They had a system called DDA Dynamic Difficulty Adjustment. And they go into that and how the game would adjust difficulty of enemies based on how the player's playing. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And there's talk of like Resident Evil 4 having a dynamic difficulty in the background and stuff like that. And that's interesting. And I I think I'm with Chris in that I like the idea of a dynamic difficulty being an option to choose from between easy, normal, hard or whatever. I don't think having those settings is antiquated at all. I, I, yeah. I disagree with Jaffe on this just because I don't I like the idea. I guess this comes from my my soul's fandom in that 
I like games that's like this is the standard at this level, which at, at Souls it's it's one level, right? You either meet it and beat the game, or you don't, and it is designed that way. I love that. That is one of the appealing aspects of those games for me. And so I think that also applies to games that have those settings, right? People like to play on hard because it's going to be really hard and difficult. They enjoy the challenge. They don't want something that necessarily adapts. Maybe they have a couple bad runs and then suddenly the game is much easier. No, there's some people that enjoy repeating the same process 30 times in a row until they finally get it. And there's that click, that eureka moment where you finally achieve. And so, yeah, just to just to summarize, I'm, I'm cool with the idea of dynamic, but not in lieu of settings or no setting at all, just because there is a ton of value in those settings. Yeah. Like, I don't even play like when I like I, I've said on this show before that, like, I, I play The Witcher 3. I play that shit on easy. Me too. I just I just don't. I don't care. Like, it's not a game about difficulty for me. It's not like, ooh, man, if I told somebody that I beat The Witcher, no one's going to be impressed. <laughs> you know, like, it's not <laughs> it's not <laughs> Bloodborne or like, a, you know, a Sekiro or, or something like that. It's it's just a it's a narrative game first. That's what everybody praises about it. So, yeah, I'm going to want to play the game for the story. I'm not going to want to have to die over and over again to some enemy that I just can't figure out because it's just not that kind of game. And I definitely wouldn't want that difficulty dynamically adjusting because sometimes these dynamic systems don't read you correctly. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. prone to miscalculation. Like, I, we... I, I don't know how much multiplayer stuff you've, you've done, Dustin, and, and I, I know you've probably gravitated more towards single-player stuff lately, like in recent years, but skill-based matchmaking is a thing. And, you know, people are matched with each other based on their skill level. And sometimes you can just wash people the fuck out. Yeah. You know, like you could just like you could have like a 50 to two game sometimes. And it's like, Jesus Christ. And that that's with skill based matchmaking activated. So these systems are prone to failure. And the last thing I want to do is like be chilling, like be enjoying a nice like game of like, I don't know, some open world little thing. I'm collecting apples. Or whatever, and I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make a little potion out of these apples, and then a fucking final boss like descends upon me and hits me in one hit because for some reason the game thought I wanted that, right? <laughs> but yeah, I think I think we're all mostly in agreement here. It's a really interesting question, Nathan. I, I appreciate you writing it in. I, I my my closing comment here is just that I think. I think engineering prowess that would algorithmically make these things stronger should just be used for other things. And then right. just have your traditional difficulty levels. I do think easy, normal, hard, and very hard is a very fine gamut of things, options. And yeah. I do agree with you guys that I also like games that have no difficulty options. And like I said, our most recent game, Hybroxia 2, is a game of dynamic difficulty where we don't have a literal difficulty system, but rather like a figurative meta, meta system that's basically just based on the store. Buy or sell whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to hit your head against the wall but you can also challenge yourself more and we're going to do like I said when we release it on PS5 we're going to change the whole trophy list to make the trophies almost impossible and that's going to give a whole nother reason for people to play hopefully all right Matthew Silva has a brief one he says hey CCD boys this goes ba- a while back to the big PS5 UI update but I'm surprised it was never mentioned 
the system now allows you to customize the control center. You can move the power button all the way to the first position on the left. This reduces the button presses to four to get in the rest mode. PS button down XX. Just thought Sony deserved to be acknowledged for listening to feedback on this one. Right? You are, Matthew. They do deserve credit for this. I will say too little too late because now I have the total motion down on PS5. It's I was a I was a bitchy whiner about that when PS5 came out being like, why do I have to press so many buttons on my video game <laughs> console? And then I finally got used to it and now they want to change it. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I still don't think it think should so. be hold down. I, I still like I, fe- I feel it in my soul. Like everything works that way. It it mm, it bothers me so much. Like, I, I don't know why they did that. They, they, might, they, turned, into the a, evolutionary... they turned into a bit of a Siri thing. Is what they did. Mm. You know, it has more in common with the way Siri works or like your mm. your assistant on your phone than the way you would turn off a device. It's very, I don't know, it's very weird. I want to jump to Jordan Comstock now. He says, Colin, Chris, Dustin, word is there is a six gig patch for Eternal that is being tested. What updates would you like to see made to the game? A new biome would be amazing, but I'd be satisfied if they made the ciphers and audio logs less random in the end game. I was close to the platinum, but I moved on to other games after several hours of looking for the last couple of ciphers. The same thing happened to me. I wasn't close, but uh, in the second, the red world, I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. Side note, I jumped back in for a run after not playing for several months and I was terrible at the game. I had lost most of the skills I had built up during my initial playthrough. My hope is whatever updates they make are worth relearning the game and truly getting back into it. It has been my favorite game of the year so far. Thanks for the hours and hours of enjoyment. Enjoyable podcast. Y'all are great. Thank you, Jordan, for writing in. Of course, he's referring to Returnal, the PS5 exclusive from now first party studio Housemark. Dustin, the rumor is that there is a big patch being tested for this game, as Jordan notes. I want to say that this term biome, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this term biome. I thought I was using it to talk to about Returnal because I thought that was the word, the verbiage that they were using specifically for this game. Not realizing that people are just starting to say biome for stage or level. And that's not happening. So let's just nip that in the bud did. real quick. In Returnal, specifically use the word biome. No, they do. That's what I'm saying. Okay, You're saying people are taking it elsewhere. Right. What I'm saying is that I would even use the term biome talking about Returnal because I I thought that was the specific language. I've been in this industry for a long time. I've never heard anyone refer to a level or stage as a biome one time ever in my life until Returnal came out. And now I'm seeing everyone say it for other things. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. I, I would say that it's it's common in open world games a bit because it's more like because it's how the world works literally is that there are biomes that like, right, transition. like a forest and a desert and yeah, so yeah, on yeah yeah right. but it, that's usually in reference to things that you can seamlessly go through like if like the desert section of an open world map is not the desert level you know it's the that's same true. i guess i would yeah i don't even know what i would have called that okay that's yeah, fair it, enough because i remember when i first heard it it was with breath of the wild that was when right. I first heard it, when people were like, oh, yeah. desert biome and like and like oh, uh, even, swamp biome. And I was like, what the fuck biome? What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, OK, because there's no actual you don't select these. But the second like I, I agree with you, like I, I'm noticing it a lot lately. Is that like, oh, yeah, this these biomes are like, what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's a up. fucking map. Shut up. Also. In your explanation, which makes a lot of sense to me, I feel like now bio makes no sense in Returnal because yeah, yeah. the stages aren't open. Yeah, right? no, it, so, it, it didn't. It didn't make sense to me when I was playing it, but I was like, I, I guess that's just what they're calling it. I guess I don't know. My hope for this is um, that they stay true to what 
their original design and plan was for the game simply because they've stayed true to it so far. And so I think that they've kind of ridden out the you should make this game easier kind of uh, request. And I was amongst those people that originally was like, I just can't stand this game until I played it for 70 or 80 hours and, and, and loved it and beat it and really enjoyed it. So, Dustin, what would you want to see out of this new Returnal patch? And is anything going to get you go, to go back to the game? Because Jordan expresses my concern, which is that I feel like my skill set will have atrophied so much that Returnal will become unplayable. And I, I simply can't go back to that feeling of not playing the game right. Like, it's just so soul crushing. And I couldn't. It was not. I, so that's my one concern that this might almost be like too late. Right. It is, I think, probably a little too late at this point. Being six gigs, it definitely sounds like it'd be a new level slash biome for sure. The main change, one of the main changes that I would have liked to see when I was playing the game was some of the later weapons you acquire. I I was not fond of for my play style. The problem is when you unlock a level, it adds it to the loot pool. So it's harder to get the weapons I did like. So I don't know, maybe that's just part of the intended design, but something in a way that you can add or remove things from the loot pool would be nice. As far as going back, not that it's a bad game. I enjoyed Returnal. I was very frustrated with it at many points. (laughs) I do not want to go back to it. A new level would not convince me to go back, but Overall, I I'm kind of it's rare for me to go back to uh, a a game that I casually liked. I do go back to the games that I truly loved. Like I'm playing Death Stranding. I go back to Souls games, stuff like that. I Returnal, good and sometimes great game, but not one that I'm willing to suffer again for. Fair enough. I think that's a fair answer. Where where, where do you stand on this, uh, Chris? I don't know. It depends on what it is. I I never actually finish it because I got swept away with other things, but. If if there is a new biome in uh, to explore <laughs> oh, and to mess around with, I might I might be compelled to jump back into it. I got pretty damn good at it, and then I just I was splitting my time between like several games, and then it just eventually like withered away. And like I, I know at this point, if I went back to Returnal, I would be terrible. It would be a horrible experience <laughs> uh, because that's what these games kind of are. These like uh, skill based, like very very dependent on mastery. Like the second you you. You get off it for a while, you're just like completely, you're an idiot. It's almost like trying to start a story-based game from like the middle after like three years of not playing it. It's like, oh my God, what totally. the hell was I doing? I got to get a potion from some guy. What? And, and I um, totally can't. I just, I don't know that I can do that to myself again. I think one of the reasons that I st- stuck with Returnal and had such an interesting experience with it was because I was mad that I couldn't play it well. I really was. Like I was getting angry. Yeah. Like this is, it was like welling up inside me. I forced my way to, through that game and eventually became very good at it and very competent, actually like comically competent. And that's unfortunately when, when I was looking for trophies or looking for the ciphers and everything for the trophies and they weren't coming up. I'm like, man, God, like I've done the hard part already. Why won't you just give me what I want? You know, like (laughs) I've done the hard part. And so that was, I had to walk away before I think the metagame ruined my experience full stop. That's fair. Yeah. Finally, we have Alex who says, hey, CDC, longtime listener, first time writing in and all the way from the UK. I'm intrigued to hear what you think of Marvel's Avengers adding XP boosters to their online marketplace after explicitly stating they would only be selling cosmetic items to players and that there would be no pay to win features in the game. The boosters themselves aren't an issue. It's more the fact that we, the consumers, got lied to. 
At the time of writing, Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix have been silent on the matter. As someone who genuinely enjoys this game, has spent money on credits to purchase skins, and has defended the game, this feels like a slight betrayal. The game needs microtransactions to survive, considering all future content is free. However, this appears as a shameless and slightly predatory money-making tactic, especially as they have been implemented coming off of a four times XP weekend, and a week after the game landed on a Game Pass. It's possible this, this decision will be reversed, but it's going to be a black mark on what is already not a very popular game amongst the masses, which as a fan is sad to see. Anyway, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Keep up the amazing work, all of you. Thanks for everything you do. I didn't talk about this on last week's show, Dustin, because we didn't get a specific write-in about it, and it just seemed like not really that important. But Alex wrote in, and I figured it would be an interesting inquiry to end the show with. This is an interesting problem because it's clear that Square Enix changed their minds when they realized Game Pass saved the game. Now, yeah, it might be that they might have been seeing pot more positive numbers on PS now as well. Remember, the game's on PS now for free, too. So now it's pretty much free or has been free to play f- on both consoles. And like he said, the mo- the upcoming content is free. They should have never promised free content. That was a mistake, but they did. And they're sticking to it. So they have to figure out a way to monetize this game as opposed to walking away from it. I don't like what they did, but I just don't know the other option. Because I think they would have been foolish to see the game. I think it was number four on Game Pass or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we don't want it. Well, you know, they show your hands on me. Like, we don't want to monetize them. I think what, it would have been, what would have been an interesting move is to say, like, we're going to stick the monetization only in the Game Pass version of the game or something. That way it doesn't maybe affect other people that paid for the game. But I understand why people are um, upset about this. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, it reminds me of uh, the Crash Team Racing thing where they just sort of like they, they didn't have monetization in the review period. And then everybody was super favorable about it. And then they shoved it in like after all the reviews were sort of settled. And it's like, oh, my God, this whole aspect of the game that is not reflected in every single review. And it really like it it does. That sucks. Like it's it's dishonest. It's a little slimy. But. That was a $60 game. You know, that was egregious, in my opinion. This considering it is on Game Pass, it is free and i know we we got into yeah, a whole yeah. conversation about what what free really means but for the sake right. of conversation included in your subscription included in your subscription to game pass i it would be dumb of them not to monetize that amount of attention especially if the, if you want the if you're a really big fan of the game and you want the game to succeed i think you have to just kind of accept the fact that they're going to need to make money on it like you can't they can't just sit there and support the servers in exchange for literally no money like, they did get money, obviously, for the Game Pass deal in the first place. Obviously, I think that's how Game Pass works. So, fair. But, you know, you got to take the opportunities you're given. And as much as I don't like this, and I think it's really shitty, I'm kind of with Colin, where I, I just don't... You'd be such an idiot not to do something with that much attention. Especially on a game that, let's face it, like, if not for Game Pass, would be it would be dead right now, I think. Like, there's no way. It certainly rejuvenated it like those fucking paddles. You rub them together and yeah. poof, right on the chest and it's yeah. al- alive again. And people might <laughs> actually like it more as a game they didn't have to outright pay for. Like that, that, mm. that, that really does affect your view on something, especially like your average person. Maybe to us, not really, because we're just sort of used to this and like we get free games all the time and like we're eager to shit on them almost, <laughs> you know, but you know, I, I do think uh, for your average person, if they're if they get 
Avengers for free and they see all the flaws that somebody who paid $60 are seeing, they're going to be inherently a little bit more forgiving of it than the person who paid because they're going to feel far less slighted. They're going to feel far more forgiving. They're going to feel far more like, ah, well, you know, at least, you know, at least I didn't have to put anything into this. And that's an interesting dynamic in this industry that I think we're only just kind of at the beginning of. Uh, sure. we're, we're trying to feel that out as we go, but I don't support what they did, but as a businessman, I, I get it. Like from a business perspective, I, I understand why that would have been the, the, the decision to make. And I'll also say this, Chris, like, cause it's true. You can't begrudge them, although you don't support it, but they should have just, they could have communicated this a lot better and been a lot less sloppy yeah. and realized also that by lump sum, like lump sum selling their game for rental, basically that if the game becomes popular, it's going to cost them a lot of money on the back end to keep the, the servers going and the players supported. So it's almost one of those situations like we talked about when the PS3 first launched and they sold more and more and Sony lost more and more money every time they sold PS3s. It was this totally contradictory thing that made no sense. It's a similar thing here. You want the game to become popular, but if you got, you know, $5 million for a lump sum payment or something like that from Microsoft, then that's not going to cover the cost of, of the servers to for these new players that you're hoping to capture. And since you have no content that you're going to pay for upcoming. It's like what that that's why they, this game is a complete abortion, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> from from concept to timing to monetization. Yeah. Wrong studio, wrong timing, wrong everything. Yeah. Every, and uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Dustin, what do you uh, what do you think? I just am always so confused and find it so funny when people are given the option to pay money to play a game less. <laughs> I think I've I've ranted about this before. It's specifically like Assassin's Creed. Like, what does that say about your game? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of a a, a double XP weekend or something like that that mm-hmm. is given to you. You know, but I'm not going to just the thought of spending money on that is um, I don't like it. And I understand I, we, I've seen the comments and write ins of people that say, well, I have a job, I have a family, and this is a way for me to just spend a couple bucks to to get ahead. And I, I understand that. And, you know, spend your money however you like. If this is of value to you, I mean, clearly it's a value to a lot of people because companies keep doing it. And I'm in the wrong because it's making them money. So it's just confusing to me. The thing to watch out for, for fans of this game, and you'll have to be the ones that watch this because I don't play this game, is they implemented this when they said they wouldn't. Okay, that's a strike for sure. If in future updates of this game, they make grinding more difficult, and to, in order to try to make this microtransaction more appealing, that's a huge issue then at this point when you see core game changes in order to entice people to something to pay more money that wasn't there, especially when you consider this was a at one point a $60 purchase. Yeah. So keep a watchful eye for that because people have tried to pull shit like that. Yeah. It's almost inherent to the decision to put these kind of features into the game anyway, you know, like it's, it's almost like a game needs to have, if you're going to have an experience boost or like something like Assassin's Creed had, right. Where it was like, Hey, you know, here's this boost that makes the grind reasonable. 
that means you had to design the grind to be absurd. And you had to design the grind to be absurd, so you had a reason to sell the thing that fixed it. And that's just something that you're probably not going to get away from in monetized experiences. Like, it's just a shame. It's a shame, but that's, like, really... It necessitates that design. Like, because there would be no reason. If you could just get through an entire battle pass in a reasonable time, there would be no reason to sell you the thing that speeds, speed runs you through it because no one would feel compelled to go. This is different. I get because I get it because it's like, it was a $60 game and didn't have it at first. So Dustin's right. You're going to want to keep an eye on like how that experience is doled out and how, like if you're noticing like, Hey, huh? It's taken a lot longer to get the things that used to, that I used to get really quickly. And that's a result of this change. That is massive and i wouldn't put it past them because bungie did this actually like bungie did i can't remember when but early on in the activision days of destiny 2 they had a they had a thing where i can't remember if it was an xp boost so i'm sure somebody in the audience will correct me if i'm wrong but they there was this pseudo this almost this like smoke screen of like oh yeah you're experience you're gaining more experience when in fact it was like there was no change <laughs> or something oh, like interesting that. yeah and it was like, I, I don't know if that was like a mistake or whatever. It's been a while. This is, this is like 2017. My memory's a little hazy, but this is not something that developers are unfamiliar with doing. So keep an eye on that. Everybody who plays Avengers and let us know for sure. Cause that's yeah. a fascinating story. If it does. Definitely good, good insight boys. And uh, that's it. That's all we have for this episode of sacred symbols, a PlayStation podcast. It's a been a very good week, mm-hmm. a fun week for us. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show as well. Chris, you have any closing comments? Nah, man, I'm going to go play Deathloop. Cool. Uh, Dustin, comments? I have, I have two comments. Oh. First of all, Colin, I want to wish you a happy birthday today. Oh, thank you. Thank it's, you very it's much. For, uh, I mean, the release, it will be passed, but I considered, you know, you're the president of Last Stand. Like, maybe I could replicate the scene from Breaking Bad where she sings the song. Sure, but sure. I, I wanted to spare. Oh, that's such a cringy scene. I hate that scene yeah. so much. Wait, what yeah. scene oh. in Breaking Bad? What are you talking about? The, where the... Where... <laughs> The boss, you know, the, the his wife's boss, like, you know, it's his birthday and she's like dancing. Oh, singing my and God. Dancing, real I sexy. Forgot, like, I forgot about that. You blocked it out. Yeah. I did. Oh, I, I did. It was awful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no Thank problem. And the other comment, this is going to require more research. And I know this has become an ongoing saga, an arc of sacred symbols of how we pronounce things. And earlier we brought up the main character of, of Metroid. I just did a, a quick yeah. search. Samus versus Samus. Turns out. Uh, Don't even say I, No. Listen. <laughs> uh, throughout the games in which her name is mentioned, it is said differently depending on the game. Oh, in fact, okay. I heard. I, I, OK, not verifiable. Just someone on a game FAQs form said that pre Metroid Prime 3, it was said differently. So I I need to do more research on this. Let us know. Is it Samus? Is it Samus? Is it either? I don't know, but it would make sense why I would say it that way. It's fucking it's Samus. Samus. It's Samus. It's, it's it, he, all you have to do is play Smash Brothers and listen to what the announcer says. That's what it Samus. is. Of other words, this is the of all of the debates on words. This is the one that I am. I'm not dying on any hill hill here. I don't. Oh, doesn't matter. You yeah. know. 
or is it right. DDD or is it day to day? Well, I always say day to day, but that the reason that is is because I played the Japanese version of the Wii iteration of Smash Brothers first because we had it at IGN, yeah. and they say day to day, right? That. So I just start, and I, I that's when I started like playing as him. So that's when I kept saying it, and I didn't even know that it was DDD in the right. American version until like years later because I never even played it, you know. So yeah. Because it's funny, it's like DDD, and in Japanese, it's day to day. I remember I saw that character for the first time in Brawl, because uh, I, I didn't really play a lot of uh, Smash Bros. I played like Mewtwo in like Melee a lot, but like I didn't own a GameCube. And I remember seeing King DDD in the in the in the menu of Brawl, and I was like, they made a character based on Carlos Mencia's catchphrase. <laughs> Carlos, do you remember that guy? Yeah, of course. Joe Rogan ruined him. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, do you know this story, Dustin? I do. I've seen the clip. It's amazing. Yeah. Carlos Mencia, before Joe Rogan even had a podcast, I mean, you can just read about that. But here's my look at that face. Uh, look, look at his day today. He's awesome. I love him so much. Like, I, lo- I love him because he looks like a fucking psychopath. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's when a, you look at his face. He kills children. No doubt. He's great. <laughs> All right. Well, that was an, that was a longer closing thought than I appreciate uh, than I. Um, it's an important I, one. Than I thought, but I appreciate that. Uh, it is an important one. Thank you so much. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of Sacred Symbols, All Things Last Stand. Remember to go to patreon.com slash Media to support us there. You can subscribe to us on YouTube and podcast services. You can leave us nice reviews on those places as well. And uh, there's, you know, laststandmedia.shop, whatever. Oop, Jesus, I just hit my microphone. Whatever. Just do whatever you gotta do. All right, boys. Thank you for your time. Thank you all out there. See you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Graham Plays, Christian R., Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Nick R., Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilish True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Bobby Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Jordan Peterson's Fat Hog, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, 
Ali Fritz, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinsler III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crowen, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondhaliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.